good uh honey i don't know thank you for reading this but this is one of those conversations i've just for like for like a whole year <laughs> a very busy busy person today you'll tell us why you're that person. uh usually i like people to introduce themselves right yeah so i don't get anything wrong or i don't give them titles they do not want so we'll give you a courtesy to introduce yourself to our we actually have up to like 15,000 listeners on Spotify Ooh. and about 2,000 on YouTube. YouTube is growing because um, our watch time, our conversations are long and people have short, they don't want to give long things to attention. But the people that listen audio are crazy. They really, really go out and listen to the podcast. So it's something, right? That's on Spotify. Not Spotify, that. Apple, so all the, that together, oh. all the audio streams. Uh-huh. Yes. All right. Okay. So, hi, Mark. <laughs> yes. So, my name is Asmahani mm-hmm. Sad. I am a lawyer, uh, or what we call an advocate, because I I do practice law in courts sometimes. Really. Oh, yeah. So that's where we get the title of advocate. Um, I'm also a business leader. I do support businesses in terms of their leadership and governance spaces. Um, I'm a mother of two awesome boys and I foster a daughter as well. So three children. I'm a wife of one man, one husband, <laughs> and to specify a man. A clear. Uh, yes. yes. Um, this is your I'm a mentor. I'm very passionate about sharing my life story because oh. I have got to understand the things I've gone through are not just for me, but there's a lot that I can do to shape or help other people who are walking the same journey. Um, so I'm, I'm a mentor and I'm very passionate about it, but I'm also a mentee. I have people who mentor me, so sure. big up to them, <laughs> who have really helped me also in this journey. Um, I'm a leader, I'm a Christian leader as well. I'm a minister in my church. I also do a lot of um, discipleship and growing people in faith because that has been one of the, not even one, but it is the greatest pillar of my life that has actually brought me here where I am that you could want to even have a conversation with me <laughs> in my ordinary self. Um, what else? Yeah, I'm a Rotarian as well. I love the causes that run with Rotary. Um, and also I engage a lot with my community where I live. Where do you live? I live in Tinder. Oh, I was born in Tinder. Same zone. Okay. My chairman really likes me because in as much as I am, okay. and I'll put it in, quite yeah. busy and what, I make time to go for LC meetings. Are you just in for political? I am not, no political ambition at all. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Okay. So I just want to be involved with my community because I feel and I believe that is home. Uh So I sit in an LC meeting with everyone else. I usually want to keep quiet because when people see you come in, they feel that, oh, the English people have entered. (laughs) So I don't say much. I listen. I give up myself. Right now we are working on some bylaws yeah. for our area. And yeah, I'm supporting the LC chairman in crafting those. And it really gives me so much fulfillment. 
when I do those things. Some sense of purpose for your community. Yeah, ah. for my community. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just, and I'm a daughter, of course, I'm a child. I have also me and my mommy and daddy, they're alive, thank God. That's really a blessing. Yeah. yeah so, that's really me in a nutshell. That's amazing. So um, let's start there. The political ambition. <laughs> uh, usually lawyers really, that is always like the end goal, right? Most of the ones. The end goal. Okay, the ones that are not really like actual, actual salespeople that are brokering deals, go for political office. Now, for someone like you who has big sense of community, you get purpose from that. Why don't you want to? And you're a lawyer, like you understand the law, really. <laughs> you must know that in our country, there's so many broken systems, right? It's things you could fix if you have the power. So why don't you want to? Well, I think it's one of those things, um, maybe saying that if you have the power, the way I see, and this is just my observation, I could be wrong, huh. and I don't want to form judgment or, you know, give an expert opinion. But from where I sit, politics, the way it's running, it's not the politics I believe in. Um, it has, first of all, it has become so commercialized. It's actually a commodity yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, even people campaigning for simple things like LC, for example, when we're running our LC campaigns, people are making so much demand on these leaders. And so you find that people who could actually lead like me, I, I, I think, yeah, you're right. I can, I can do, I can go, I can debate laws. I can read laws. I can draft them. I can shape out a governance system. I can monitor it. I can inspire people to be, to have a buy-in in the change that we want to see because change to happen, it has to, you know, it has to serve purpose. People have to have a buy-in, but where I stand, and I don't want to say all oh, hope is lost because I'm, I'm such a positive person. I'm a hopeless, hopeful believer. But where I stand right now, it's one of those things that even if you went in, I see so many people who are so passionate about the things because this is not me. It's not a lonesome journey. You sit with people and you see you have the same mindset. And sometimes they go in there and things just become so different. And for me, one of the, the, the biggest pain or when I see things, for me, it's just the governing. I think we have we we have abilities to govern, yeah. but we have failed to govern. And the result of that is poverty. You know, when I look around, you just see there's so much need. Yet, there is so much potential in our country. People keep saying that. Oh, I'll just give you a simple example. Mm. We are a country where... Tomorrow, today, I'll, I'll just throw like some passion seeds or tomatoes, make a little backyard compound. And two, three days later, things yeah. are sprouting. I haven't put fertilizer. I mean, you know? Yeah, but also the these days, there's that conversation on agriculture where um, most of the people that keep saying, once you invest in poultry or in in figury or whatever, it's, it's not as look you don't get back what you you don't report you saw from from that so the economies of scale don't also support that mm. so there's that maybe because of the taxing things you are in best position to actually talk on or change see how do you feel about that the fact that things don't work even though they should work 
right? The, the soil, the fertile, um, people are really hardworking. I, I, don't, I don't like to call people lazy in Uganda. Like, like me, all I've seen my dad do is wake up and work all the time. But he's, he's just an average person, mm. yeah? There's, there's all that. So that's at the back of my mind is maybe because of the country I'm into. There's you, there are no businesses that spiral out like Facebook or something. Yeah. So things don't work even when they are supposed to work. Well, I think it's, it's here and there. Perhaps if it was like more so sophisticated statistics would help, but I'll just give you my view and my experience. Personally, mm. I, I wanted a side hustle <laughs> at some point in time and everyone was talking about farming, agriculture and things like that. So I had a friend of mine who had done um, paper, you know, that port paper, and they say they were exporting it to Europe. Yeah. And I had my car land somewhere, my, my car's average good land, which I also bought because it's, it's, it's cool or it's, it's part of our system, you know, once you have some little savings yeah land. land is something you have to so but let's say, school, yeah? Yeah, yeah so i was like okay so i i got into it no knowledge no research nothing but i did it because it made sense at that time i had some money aside and i was like okay and this person had really convinced me no you do it you know collect paper to jump for your boxes you know those exactly those things yes. give you some like excited it tells me if it's one acre you can make like six million if you have two acres i tell you you have a lot of land one season like this immediately coming i'm like what so I get into it. So personally, I think the most thing I did in research, which was good, which he told me something, he told me, let's do soil tests. So we get someone from Kawanda, the guy comes, picks soil samples, goes and does tests, brings them. I didn't even read through them. So it was just one of those tick that box thing. And when he said soil test, I was like, this guy is so cool. We have to fix You know? So yeah. yeah, so yeah, so we started the project. And I love projects. I like I like doing things like from the ground up. I yeah. love it. So I was it just gave me purpose for that season. So yeah, we went for seeds from Kawanda. You told me AA did. Now this is what I feel is the problem where you're saying things don't work. Yeah. I didn't have the actual research. I didn't understand the world around red, red paper. This hot paper after this hot paper. I didn't understand the market. Okay, so when it come, when I'm ready for harvest, what do I do? What's next? I didn't understand. So there was no plan. Uh -huh. right? There was no plan. Okay. Okay. There was no full value chain. Who is going to offtake? If I'm going, what do I need? What's the quality? You know, the details. Yes. So I did it like a typical Ugandan. And I'm sure I don't want to win any from Ugandan. Most people, when they just jump at opportunity. Yeah, but I, I can put that on Ugandans. Uh, my experience having conversations with people, I've had uh, conversations with whites typically. And usually when you pose the question, hey, how do you feel about working in Uganda? It's that. Mm -hmm. Ugandans, the work is there, people are brilliant, but there's no plan. People don't plan for yeah, their businesses. Yeah. yeah, so it hit me. So we did the paper, but now when the reality started hitting, I couldn't even sustain the passion anymore. The demands, there is no water. Over what? Money, you know, they're calling you all the time, weekends, to agarachino, pesticides, da, 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 da. So you're now just like spending, putting in money, putting in money. So finally, the paper, and actually even what we, we planted is not all that came out. And then now, time to 
Harvest. Harvest Farm. So you guys start giving me stories. Over now, Europol, we change all the stories. We get to harvest. I don't have a market. I am stuck with these bugs. It's not even packed the way it should be. And and the hot pepper is so sensitive. You keep it there three, four days. It it's just starts dead. going bad. Yeah. So that was the end of my sad story. I never exported. I never... So everything went bad. Most of it. I just told the guys who were there, you know what? I just got so fed up. So, you know... So, so frustrated. frustrated. Yeah. I think that's the right and drained. And yeah. drained because I had lost a lot of money. And so, but I learned a lot from that. You know, I always tell when at work, maybe if I say, you know, there are some lessons that, yes, they're expensive, uh -huh. they're painful, but if you don't go through them in that experimental or experiential, no one can ever, even if at that time, Mark, Mark, you came and told me, you know what, don't do hot pepper when you don't have the experience. I'll be like, that guy is a hater. I hate I'm that. going to progress, you know, but it is what it is. So now from there, I learned, no matter how good, whether you come and know so made a poultry deal or what, 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 I just have to educate myself. Nice. Secondly, I have to make the time because I was doing phone farming. I don't know during that season, I don't know, I stepped there like once or twice. So everything was on phone. They call me at work. I'm, at, I'm, I'm busy at work. This it was supposed to be a weekend gig. I even failed to make those weekends to go there. So the guys were taking advantage. For them, they were just seeing opportunities to make money. So I just learned the time. Everything needs time for it to work out. It needs a process. You need to understand it. Whatever it's coming, the output, you need to know how we're going to make use of this output. Markets, understanding the whole exports. You know, industry, even if I just had me domain, we are going to buy an export. Just understand the full value chain dynamic. Sure. I'm sure it would have been a good hustle. Do you feel like <laughs> right now, the side hustles we are supposed to do are supposed to be related to our places instead? Because then when will you ever get time to like put time into, you have to read. You know, the thing that stopped me from doing law was that we had to read so many yeah. things. But my parents were very convinced I was going to be a lawyer. I used to argue everything at work. You know, when I was mm -hmm. growing up, they were... Very convinced that if you don't become a lawyer, you just wasted that. You time. have no yeah. future. But the reading is what got me off, right? So do you feel like we have to do things in line with what our professions are doing? Because then again, um, basic Hillary tweet, uh, to succeed, you have to have other sources of income, what's not and what's not. But how do you get other sources of income? to supplement what you're doing? Or do I have to really, really go do an MBA, have a PhD and become a partner like you to get big bags? You don't have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a very, um, that's a very excellent question, I must say. And then where I am, I want side hustle. Okay. But I've realized the whole side hustle thing, mm. you don't have to do a side hustle where you know you're not going to be present. At least that's the lesson I And there are other ways that you can side hustle. There's what they call passive income. Right now, because all my time, at least most of my, my mind and my time is focused on what I'm doing as, as a lawyer, what yeah. I'm doing as a partner, what I'm doing as a business leader. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of minding, you know. So even if I was there today, let me have a side hustle of a restaurant. It wouldn't work out. Because even those things, we look at them as side hustles, but they are also actual investments, their business. You're going to put in money, resources are going in there. So what I always tell people is that not everyone by there is an entrepreneur. 
but in if everyone can be an investor everyone can invest how do you and invest in profit. something now yes and you're issue. not an entrepreneur yeah. okay this is the issue most people think for me to own the to own a business i have to be let, let me say the manager the typical enterprising yes yeah, yeah yeah but i could actually mark you could present to me an idea or a business that you're already doing and it's working out and i see the numbers that's the research i'm talking about uh -huh, uh -huh. i see it you, you make for me the projections i see it you say you know what i want to expand my business and i need a hundred million i'm raising capital if i see value in your business and i have my car 20 months somewhere instead of me going and competing with mark because mark can do podcasts and yeah, yeah. let me also go buy and buy equipment yeah. and stuff which is the typical you're gonna know and that, that, mark i've just experienced that in my field i went to pitch an idea exactly. to someone and he's like no but, i'm gonna buy my own people i'm like but now the equipment comes with the expertise to it it comes with so much feel the passion exactly the 1000 hours of which maybe yeah. you've so far done like 300 yeah, yeah. i don't have time to even make a hundred of those in media world so what I would do, I would invest in your business. No, I, I throw in the 20 million. I look at the numbers. And remember, investment also needs patience. The other thing that I've noticed is Kaguidao. And that's why when, we, when we're enterprising, we are not patient mm. with what we're enterprising. Because enterprising is a process. When you, when you read the stories of the people we admire now, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Bill Gates, all these people, when you get to understand what they went through even before they made they hit their first one thousand dollars it was years yeah but for us we have this mindset and maybe it's the world we live in now everything is instant instagram take a picture it's right now if you're hungry i can just be like mark pause let me go jumia i order for my food in 10 minutes it's here yeah so it kind of shapes this fallacy that everything should be instant if i've put 20 million in max business Three yeah. months later, I'm calling you. Aha, Mark. Now, what is the percentage and You understand? Yeah. But yeah. investment takes time. And trust. So, how do you build that trust to invest in something? How do you build that trust? Because money here is very far fetched to make, right? So, yeah. getting like 20 million and giving it to me takes a lot of trust. Just for you to sit at home and be like, you know what? Because uh, it's a business. I could fail. Genuinely. Things I could try and expand, parent here and there, and things just fail. So the trust, you as a business leader, how do you instill that in? People? So it's it's one of those things, like I said, uh -huh. I, I you wouldn't just sell to me your, your idea by word of mouth. I need to see it. what does it look like on paper? Because you must come, like you said, the problem without planning. Yeah. You must come from somewhere. And here, what I'm seeing is just implementation. But there is a vision. True. There is a mission written somewhere. There is a dream. There is an aspiration. There's a walk you want to walk three, five years. Those are the things that I would look at to invest in you. And from there, what I'm reading must also kind of resonate what I'm saying. And if it's not, then I can have the right questions to ask you. Secondly, the issue about trust. Yeah, not everyone. I mean, people invest in stock, stock in the stock market, True. in equities. A lot of people bought shares there in MTN. Do you think they trust or they know who are even the directors of MTN? But that's an investor's mindset. I look at this business, I can make my predictions, I can go in and go out. So I think sometimes, especially for people who have jobs and one side hustle, mm -hmm. it is good now to wear an investor's mindset. So that then you can support people who can actually do businesses and grow them. You invest. How do investors make money? You make money from profits, dividends, you know? Mm -hmm. But then the business has to run its cycle. So the issue of trust, yes, because sometimes we want to invest in 
friends, people we know, businesses. So it comes, it becomes a bit disruptive at times. But if you're a real investor, I mean, I don't need to know you, Mark, or if see, today if um, Java's did an IPO, how many people do you think would I want to throw in their everyone. money and take a piece of Java's? Because they see. So sometimes it comes from what people can see and then what is on paper and then what is your growth plan, you know? And then it's people can invest. So many people tell me I want to do side hustle, my side hustle in the evening. I go, I want to do this and they have a job. Most definitely you see that some it affects their performance at work. Or they just get frustrated. They start blaming everything on their job. But yeah. you want to multiply yourself in, in ways that you can't humanly possible, possibly do. So yeah, so I think it's time. And investment, you know, maybe investment is such a big word. People imagine investment and they think, ah. Uh, yeah, think about risk. And yeah, and risk is very important. And that's also the issue about trust. Where I'm talking about where I wanted to bring in risk as well. I mean, risk is risk. The higher the How risk. How do you feel yourself to start risking? I feel like it's, it's like an inborn thing. If you've not been risking with your life and um, you've been really... Every time you're playing safe, then yeah. you always be the kind of safe... You have it. But I, I feel like some people have it right that way, right? And playing it safe. Yeah. Yes. And it works for them. And so it also takes you knowing who you are. Okay. What do you want? Yeah. Because you can't be a person who wants to play it safe all the time and then you want to risk in a venture. I'll give you an example like oil and gas. People invest who invest in oil and gas business know that when we're going to explore, if we don't find the oil, it's a loss. Like even now, our Ugandan exploration mm -hmm. system is, 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 is structured, which is the standard practice everywhere. You come as an investor, you go bring your equipment, your knowledge. It's intense, capital intensive, hundreds and thousands. I mean, not even hundreds, but millions and millions of dollars yeah. are invested in that ground. But once the drill hits those meters down and mm -hmm. there is no commercial viable, it could be there, but it's not commercial. Oh, sure, it's just... And that's where you say, for say, we found a dry well. You put out your equipment, cover up properly, environmental issues, pack your bags and go. Just but that day you hit that oil, my friend. You are in gold. Yeah, to tell and shows of this world. So again, there are people who, and you can, you can see their success story. It's all about risk. Mm -hmm. And with risk, of course, sometimes the, the risk can materialize. And people lose everything. Everything and they start from scratch. And then they share the stories. And for you, when you see them, you see them, they are in Bitala, you know? Glamour. It's glamour. Yeah. And you want that glamour, but you're not ready to understand what it takes to, risk to get there. So risk is good. There is acceptable risk, calculated risk, but everything in life has a risk. So I don't think there's someone who can sit there and say, for me, I want a risk-free risk, risk -free life. You wake up in the morning, either you're going to do a border border or a car and get to work. There's a risk there. You know, yeah, big risk. <laughs> Even when we go to order for food, there's a risk. What if this food is not food? So everything around us has a risk. But I think it's how we then digest it into these decisions that we have to make, you know? Yeah. So my, my, my take here is that really the, the thing that you say in Uganda is things don't work, at least from my perspective. I've learned now that I, for as long as, because now I am a business owner, I own a law firm, um, I tried enterprising. Starting from scratch, it didn't really work for me. So I know I might not be an entrepreneur at that length, at that level. 
but I know I can own business. I understand how to run a business. I also know I can invest. So for me, my facets now are Investing business, and- running business and investing. And investing in what? I might say invest and you think, man, this chick has <laughs> simple things, financial instruments, you know, which are bit safe. I will invest, I buy shares when they're available. I'll invest in real estate. Do you invest in government bonds? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I do. They're safe and the interest also because now government is really, really in need of money. Yeah, but how is how can I trust that now that you're there? See, I have always thought about investing in the bonds, but with political instability, right? I do not know who's going to be the next president in 2026. It's not clear, even if it's clear, but it's not clear. Mm. So when I invest in government bonds, how sure will I be that the next yes, government keeps you're, you're, not, you're not lending the president or the government per se, you're lending the sovereign. Okay, okay. And sovereigns, it's hard, no matter what political status it is, as long as you have your paper, you always, the no. government will always owe you. And so some people, that's why some people prefer to invest in those kinds of things. Have a, That's why they call them government papers. Have that form of security uh-huh. because you have led to the government, not a specific regime or whatever it is, you know. So whatever happens, even with the instabilities and what, or economic, whatever happens, when the time to pay you come, there'll always be a minister of finance. Yes. There'll always be a, a minister of finance. There'll always be a the Bank of Uganda, there will always be that system and you will call on your money at that rate that you bought that. Maybe the risk I can say there is mean, maybe if there has been devaluation, currency devaluation, yeah. maybe at the time you are expecting, but at the end of the day, you will still get. Now, like we have the, the World Bank stepping back to don't give us money. Don't we, don't you think we'll first like current currency devaluation? No, not devaluation per se. I think what what that caused or what we saw actually when that statement came out was it brings a lot of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. especially in our foreign exchange market. And the the less foreign exchange we have, the more it becomes expensive to access it. So the shilling kind of starts to lose the value. Yeah because the foreign exchange is not. So that's that's what really happens. Yeah, And yes, it can cause you a risk. I'm not an economist or a money person, but at least from the little I understand, that's what can happen. So you, you need a lot of shillings, a lot of your own currency to access the foreign currency. But that's- So that means the government just has to print more money. It, in a way, but that would only work also if you have need for foreign currency, you see? It only works when those two are interacting. But if you're dealing with your own shilling economy, you're buying from the supermarket, you're doing this, the the, the impact may not be as much. Yeah. If you're someone who is into importation, you know, we use the dollar and things like that, then you can feel it. Um, but also what it can do sometimes, especially things that we import, if the dollar goes up, the pricing of course changes. <clears throat> so you see, when we had the Ukraine-Russian issue, when it happened, and they, we had a little instability in production of oil, mm. the pricing of oil went up. You remember that time a liter was like... I can push this. No, a liter was like at 10,000. Mm. You remember? Yeah. So, yeah, we're still using our shilling, but access to the oil, there was a lot of curtailing happening, Ukraine, Russia, you know, all that geopolitics came in. And so that's what happened. But... Of course, it's always a risk, like I said. <laughs> Tell me about your work as an advisor on the Petroleum Fund. 
the petroleum fund. Okay, so it's very interesting. First, first of all, it's um. Okay, let me let me first go back before you give me like your opinion on that. Um, I I I, I told you Hillary was my mentor. So when was it right after COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the conversations Hillary used to tell me that uh, get yourself ready for oil and gas, everything. Uh, we're doing some work at the apartments. So he used to tell me, even if all you have to do is to just organize households, mm -hmm. make sure that English speaking, I'm going to bring expatriates and whatnot, they're going to be staying, there's going to be a lot of money. But things somehow just became funny. So now I have you to give me like a broad picture to understand the oil and gas industry in Uganda. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. First of all, the oil and gas industry is very volatile. Very, very volatile. Because <clears throat> it's a global <clears throat> commodity. So the forces of demand play a lot. But then also remember we have things like OPEC, what, really yeah. those yeah. clusters where yeah. people are, they set price. So it's it's very volatile. It's very sophisticated in a way. It's curtailed, for lack of a better word. People will set price and globally you'll be affected, whether you're part of OPEC or you're not. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I hope I haven't complicated it. No. But, I, yeah, but I, I understand to, that. I want to kind of get like a similar, maybe like even the other, maybe minerals, gold. Yeah. If you kind of read yes. like the gold market. Yeah. Most times commodities, metals, they have that kind of rhythm and pattern. But for Uganda's story, so we've been in this thing, by the way, for a long time. And most times I talk about this, they get shocked. Like our discoveries were made like in the early 30s. Early th I think not even that is like, even when you move to colonial times, people actually saw oil in the Albertine, the colonialists. But at that time they felt like it was not, we are not ready for it. And for them, their focus for our, this East African basin was more of agriculture. So then they were like, no, let's just leave this. It's not so, let's focus on agriculture. So if you remember cotton, coffee, yeah, yes. cash crop, yeah. they came in and that's what was giving people cash and even then also the biggest benefit. Quick one, do you think agriculture is still a backbone? 100%. Okay. Uh, a million percent. Uganda is a food basket. You can't be a country where you just throw things and they grant. That is not your blessing. But how much food do we export out? How much food really brings in taxes? I feel that's like... That's the problem. Yeah. yeah, we have diversified, we have lost focus. Um, of course, now even things when other sectors come in, they are meant to be support sectors mm. for the main sector, which is agriculture. Tourism comes into again. They are catalyzers, they are support systems, but the main focus is agriculture. Mm. So the moment we get that into our system, even when you look at budgetary support when government is allocating money and things like that, if that can be really, really and agriculture, you know, moving from subsistence to more of commercial agriculture. Mm. Because as Uganda, you can be shocked how much food we import. Exactly. Food? So that was going to be my yeah. worry now. Like, right. Even when you go to just a random supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. We import a lot so because we haven't got into commercialization. So the food that we produce cannot even feed us as a country. It's so little. So what oh, we import okay. is meant to supplement because we have not 
focused on agriculture. But you know, that's the trend with Uganda, right? When you look at the Casita group, it's full of the informal sector, the guys who actually have the most money, the communities, even just our normal communities. The guy that has the biggest house, there's a big chance he's not like a really graduate. Mm. He's not having a big thing. It's just the informal, then there's so much informal business. Yeah, that's how we survive, guys. Um, yeah, like that. Isn't that like a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, I'll tell you, the informal sector is biggest. Exactly. It's the us who are like formal these days, they call us the Luzungu people. The, the Luzungu people. We are, I think, when you look at our GDP, what we contribute even to the gross domestic produce or what the country grosses in in Aina, so it's little. so little. Okay. Just even employment. Can you believe out of the employment workforce, 80% of the employment workforce is informal? Wow. Only 20%, I got these numbers from the Ministry of Labor, only 20% of the workforce is in the formal system. And most of this 20% is exported, right? Because the guys who really make so much money are either being outsourced. Found yeah. export labor, which also has a very big... That's informal big sector, that yeah. Now, even when you look at the formal sector, the, the, the jobs that are available. I'll just give you an interesting statistic. We've just finalized with our annual law conference, but what has come out clearly, the Law Development Center, which is the bar, what trains people to become advocates, yes. almost releases a thousand trained lawyers ready to be advocates every year, annually. There are about 600 law firms throughout the whole country. Oh, that makes law the most... <laughs> Unemployable cost there is. Now you're releasing 1,000. There's 600 law firms. Oh. But remember, there are already people in this one. The, yeah. These are new. And so, where, where is everyone going? Where is... So the numbers, something, the numbers don't add up. Oh, wow. It's so sad. Yeah. How did you make it out to become <laughs> in this In this type of globe? And... Of globe. Well, I mean, I was, by the time I started my career, we were not at 45 million people. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> Just go to. <laughs> I don't For these things, you see some of us, you see us there, okay, we are walking a certain journey, but it has a lot to do with timing, when you were born, more opportunity, the work you've put in. So there's nothing given. So How much work like... do you think you have put in to become a partner? And you don't have to like say like things you've done, like, but compared to the average to how we're scaling, because two things, yeah. Um, I, I speak to CEOs sometimes. They're complaining about the skills people have, and they're complaining about Gen Zs and their work ethic. Yeah. But then you're the people that have mentored us to become who we are, right? We were like children. We copy from our elders. So if we are lazy, it means you guys were like twice as lazy. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I think about it. Do you do you believe Gen Zs are lazy people? Mm-hmm. Do you believe our work ethic is not as much as you guys? But yes, this also will then answer the question. How much work have you put in? Like, do you really feel like, do you, have you put in the work or does it go back to that um, position very well? Good timing. Lucky enough, you could be a very friendly person. You could be bringing business because you're very well connected. That's a thing. I think I possess something like that. I 
somehow have a big source of network, right? So I have access to so many things. So that's a plus. Some people my age don't have the access I have, but they are probably smarter than me. But oh. what have you taken to get that network? You didn't just wake up in the morning and you have a network. Just think through it. So most of the times, like, <laughs> it's, it's hard, but I want to, to know from you, like how, how would you quantify the work you're putting to become a partner? Mm, I think it's... And what does it take, like, generally? Like, yeah, yes. I think, it's okay, in terms of quantifying it, well, I'll just say it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But it's not work that I look at and I'm like, oh my God, it's all me, I have put in all this work. Like you say, there's so many other factors that yes. come into play. But also, how are you able to use those things to advance yourself? Because sometimes you find people, like I'm not different than people who are with partners or other lawyers. Like I'm not any different. And you may find we've all gone through the same things. But like you rightfully said, opportunity. How do you take on opportunity? Courage, you know, which is not, I cannot quantify that. Skills, you know, networks. They also come into play other than just your book knowledge, yeah. your experience and your expertise. They're also things that you can do. But for me, it's it's a journey that has been shaped in different um, walks of my career. So when I started off, I wasn't even in the legal practice. I started off as in-house. So mm -hmm. typically, the you people well, the company lawyer. Yeah. And whilst, whilst I was there, of course I was learning, but it's very limited, if I can say. You'll just do the company work. You won't be able to explore other things, you know? So for example, if it's a telecom, every morning you wake up and do things related to telecom. But as we understand it, law has a lot of things. The good thing, it could be something in telecom, but it could be learned because the telecoms will put up masks, it could be things to do with employment because you all employees, you have to advise on that. Mm -hmm. So there are different facets that come. And so with that different practicing, even within that same um, limited space, you realize there's so much to know that I can do. You're doing contract, yeah. you're doing financing, but it's so limited. Um, so that was my journey. I did corporate, um, I started with a telecom company. I moved from telecom, I went into oil and gas. I started with, I, I worked in oil and gas. At that time, oil and gas was still, this was 2012. So still a myth, right? Uh, There's no, no, no. At that time, this is when the uh, farm down happened. Yeah. And then Total and Sino came into play. Before it was Talo Heritage, the, um, the announcement of the commercial discovery happens in 2006. Then you have all these negotiations. Tell it's like, I need to people, this. I need support, so I need to bring in other players. Mm. So they, they look out for Total and Sinoc. So that took almost another five years or so. <laughs> Oil and gas is a very interesting um, sector. So I got in at that time when these new players come in. It was very new. At least to me, I, 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 like I said, I came from telecom, but here was where the opportunity was. And I kept saying this and, and I, I always challenge people, you have to sometimes. So I wanted to change career. I was at that place in my life. The company I was working for was also going, going through a lot of change. Yeah. So there was a lot of uncertainty around it. So one of my bosses, which is so strange, is the one who, told me about this opportunity 
<clears throat> said, oh, these guys are looking for a, for a, a lawyer who understands land work, who understands uh, operations, who understands projects. Are you interested? I even thought it was a trick. I was like, hmm, my boss to tell me about. That but it was that kind of, again, like you said, a lot of things come into play, your mm. personality, mm. how you mm. relate mm. to people. How how do people see you? Because you know sometimes you can be sitting there in your comfort zone, and someone looks at you and they see a lot of potential in you. I've had had those experience, and someone says, "Mark, by the way, yeah, you're doing this thing, but I think you can do so much." I think such stuff is how like I really keep doing what I do. Like like I meet random people, they don't know anything about me, then they have this much hope around me. Like, bro, I'm struggling, but okay, maybe for you. Let me give it another day. So you see, opportunity and chance happens to everyone, but it's how you take it. Yeah. It's like it's been laid on your table, like food. Are you going to eat it or not? So the first thing that went to my mind was like, I don't have oil and gas experience. How do I even attempt? But I just said, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? I have this moreover from my boss. So now I was a bit challenged. I said, if I don't do it, and he kept asking me, have you sent in your papers? So it was one of those things. Like I said, opportunity and chance, you know. So I put in my application. I was old. I did the interview. It's more like a risk and reward, right? <laughs> I did the interview. I remember in my interview, I had people who even were going to school together in the same. You know, they call you and you know these yeah. agencies. We were going through an agency and they just call you and they give you. Yeah. you just get in your spot. Some had just come from Aberdeen. They had been doing oil and gas. They had, you know, this government, yeah, for lack of a better word. Some had that opportunity to advance. I didn't even have a master's at that time. Oh. So, yeah, so I went, I told them what I wanted to hear. I spoke about me. So I think they saw something in me. And the next thing I know, the agency called me, you've got, you have this job. And it's like, what? And I was looking at, going through all the people I was with, oh. who had this, as you know. And so I started my journey there as well. But I think for me, the biggest lesson working with the corporate world is it really opened my mind to business. Because it's even with oil and gas, that's just the output. Yeah. But ideally, they're running the business. It's a corporate world. So you have shareholders, you have directors, you have strategies that you want to input, you have budgets, planning. So everything, it enhanced. So it gave me those skills as a lawyer, you know? No, as a person, how fast, how fast do you pick onto scaling, right? The guy who was setting up these cameras, the very good videographer. But I know he has struggled with things like photography, what uh, I've seen him come up to the change really. Right now he owns about 80% of Instagram content in Uganda, right? Mm. Most of the content that he's like a benchmark. Anyone who is starting a business will refer to a video he's made. Nice. <clears throat> but I know that, of course, since I, he's like a brother to me as well, right? Can you send shout out to Yeah, shout out to Moses. <laughs> but... I've grown up seeing him, right? I know that he has challenges with just learning any other skills. And it's the same thing with me. Like, the things, I have access to all these things. I'm like, but no, let me just do what I want. So for you, how fast do you adopt to, like, new skills to, like, just add them to the person you are? Um, It's a very interesting question, Mark, because I don't think the skills we are talking about here, okay, I, I think there is venturing. Yeah. But like knowing, so for example, it's like me as a lawyer. Okay, exactly. the skills that I know now, and saying tomorrow I want to learn photography. I might be doing it passively as a hope, but I don't want to enterprise in it. I, I'm not interested in making. Mm. Money. But the kind of skills we are talking about are those skills that are also 
that you can apply to what you're doing. So there's what they call enhancement or continuous growth, right? So you could be here and you know, this is your thing, you know, but enterprising it and turning it into a business. Yeah. That you can prepare it if it's a company with a mind that in maybe 10, 20 years, I want to list this pub, this company to become a public company. Because the, when you look at the tech world, that is their journey. Most of these tech companies that you see, Facebook, WhatsApp, name it, I think we've all That's seen it. Yeah. They've That's run it. a certain journey. At one point in time, they know we will list. But that was, what does that mean? It means from the onset, you must have that business mind. Because listing, man, it is, you get money, you get back all your investment, and then you now just sit back and enjoy your what? Your sweat, your proceeds, profit, what? You know, you look at Facebook, how much, um, when you look at their balance sheet, how much they churn in terms of profit in a year. Sure. So, yeah, you're setting up business, but, or you have these skills. Moses is an amazing photographer. We've talked about him. Mm. But out of that passion, can he now enterprise it and bring in the business component? So you see now, if he's to equip himself with business skills, they would be now. So they are more of enablers, skills that enable you to take you to mm. the next level. Mm. But there's kind of within that yeah yeah no, so sense. now you know i can set up my governance structure i can set up my business with structures i can have administration you know structures i can have financial structures uh how i keep my books how i do these things you know the the, the biggest test i always tell people try going to a bank and see if they can give you a loan that's when we know that actually i'm not running a business i'm running a passion <laughs> That's that kind of work, that's the test when I'm talking to entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, because some of them have run like for even 10 years, they're like, Man, may I have my pulse in two quarter, two quarter. Sometimes I, I usually meet with those guys and we, we chat, and I'm like, Okay, what is your end game? And sometimes, even when we set up this company, that's why you see most Ugandans. Yesterday, I was having a very interesting debate with a friend of mine, and we're just going through Ugandans, eh? and we we're saying. Do Ugandans have wealth, generational wealth, no, or do we have riches? We have riches. Thank you very much. We do have riches. Even when people set up companies. Yes, because I was just going to tell you, we only have Jumia listing on the New York Stock Exchange, right? We don't have, do we have any other businesses listing? Yeah, typically Uganda. It's actually not Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm telling you. A company um, like Yugachi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's one of those companies that have stood the test of time. I want to sit in one of their board meetings and let me see what is the end goal. What are you thinking? Is it going to remain a, a family business? Is it going to, like, how can you, because you got cheap, being that we are a food basket, can have the potential to spread out to the whole world. And now that is what we call generational wealth. That four, five generations, after the generation that started you can still be part of you uh, they might necessarily nice they might not necessarily be a hundred percent shareholders, and that's the other thing that I've found. I always tell young business people, when you set up your company, have a mindset that eventually that same company should be the one to expand your power. Things as simple as shares. People set up companies. I own everything. The Chang, a hundred percent shares are mine. Updates by on Twitter. CEO, this CEO. Not just 100% shares. Four. Yeah. Look at Zuckerberg. 
how much how many how many shares does she does he own in facebook i'm not sure but not, right now yeah. he owns even less than 10 percent but look at that with the, what that 10 percent is bringing for him so you it's the same thing with twitter before they bought it exactly. from, from like jack sold shares to bill gates yeah look at microsoft do you know how much the bill gets bill gets how many shares he has those people can even have like three percent shares in the whole company yeah i remember that when hillary was on this podcast that's one thing he said he said you'd rather you'd rather and it's a thing you guys don't have he said you'd rather be a three percent shareholder for a billion dollar company than to be a hundred percent holder of <laughs> but then it has potential it has potential okay. like i've told you not only people can enterprise but everyone can be an investor now that makes sense to me. Now you get where I was coming from. That makes a lot of sense. Today, to you can li- Mark, you can yeah, part of you, something your, your mm. passion and what you're venturing in. And it all starts with, like I said, the paperwork. Because no investor, even when people go and stock market, that's why people do those prospectors. People want to see the story, that journey on paper, and then they look at, okay, are these things telling? Yeah. Because yeah. remember, you're giving us projections. MTN, when we're buying shares on MTN, they're giving us projections. We are growing. We are... Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we see the results coming out of it. So there'll be someone there who, when if they bought shares worth one million, but they invested. They are now an investor. They own a piece of MTA. So that is the mindset that is lacking. And I think the more we open our eyes towards it, mm. the more you'd see now things actually working. Because you can you can set up your thing, Mark, your media thing. Mm-hmm. With an idea of okay, let me not limit myself to just this. You add in things, you get it on paper. You look for people, resources. People are the greatest resource. Okay. Greatest resource. Like I always tell people, money is the last thing. It should always be the last thing. Think of people. Who are you going to work with? What value are they bringing? Don't bring in your friends. Bring in your wife. Bring in your wife. Bring in your wife. Bring in your Bring in incorporation documents like even now oil and gas people come to me we want to chase this deal these are my adams and we want to do a joint venture but when i go back i'm like we, there is something here we need to start actually structuring companies from the time they are buffed but that's the thing though from a legal and business perspective why don't we have companies listing for something because yeah. they are too small or they could even be big but the vision is not there yeah. people want to retain I want to be a f- and do people want to become millionaires or extra rich? Are they comfortable with? I think it's just oh, it's just the mindset. Yeah. It's the it's a mindset thing, and we really need to shift because when you look at the success stories working out, you'll find that the founders, and then we also have these founders. I don't know they call it like a founders yeah. disease or a founders mentality. This is my thing. I don't want to let go. Change, change. People budget. People rob me. People. Let me tell you, once your vision is clear, and that's where most people fail, yeah. because even when they start businesses, they don't have a vision. Where do you want to be? Why are you starting this business? Oh, because Mark has called it. Those things work. I think there's something. He both gets, that's that's the gets money from all his relatives. He <clears throat> doctor in studio. I... No vision, no mission, no strategy, nothing. Because he can raise like a 10 million, he buys three, four cameras, yes. long in the studio. Six months down the road, the thing becomes a downward. No he doesn't know I need to network with people for people to buy into my product. Nothing. 
True. Nothing on paper. Eventually, it's like seven hundred. It don't work. But here is a typical ideal story. However small you are, Mark, mm. you know you start up fine. This is these are the baby steps. You know you test it. It's your passion. You give it time. You sacrifice, and that's the other people don't want to sacrifice to get things that you have to sacrifice. Time, meeting people, being rejected, being abused. <laughs> but when you're passionate about something, those are just drivers. They don't stop you. Like those people relate with the Zuka bag, so they'll tell you their stories. Man, we started in my father's garage, Vancouver. Now they, I had to leave school. There were certain sacrifices they had to make. The mindset that we have, no. The moment you're faced with a challenge, teaching is good. Because again, you don't have the plan, you don't have the vision. And even you yourself, you haven't bought in it. How do you start selling it? How do you realize a vision for, for your company? Because I don't think you start with it, right? See this, right? Um, we started with just podcasting. So I called my brother up someday. Uh, I was at Hillary's apartment still. I was chilling, so I called my brother up. Then he says, it was coming to COVID. Then he said, man, I wanted to start my own podcast. I have a mic. I'm like, okay. But I told him previously, I told him that I have so many people I know. I was working for Guitar Jonathan, but then he was uh, chairman for the one day market, right? Mm-hmm. So during COVID, I used to sell things on Jumia. But because people didn't have access to the things of guys that had shops, I would just brand them as my shops online, then sell. But like, I've actually met so many people. I can have all these conversations. So like, okay, let's try and talk. So we started talking together. Then we brushed out. It became fun for us. We saw the need to, he's a film guy. So we saw the need to buy cameras. Then he was like, okay, now this is something. Since you like, like to do the podcast, we can look for money and put here. But even up to now, we have not realized like the actual vision of the thing, right? Now there's passion, there's consistency. We know that we want to do this, but like a big vision, it's not yet realized. How do you realize that? Like this is now, this is it, this is it for me. If I reach this, this is a tipping point. Mm. But it's, it's interesting. When I was talking to Vinod, he also told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's still hustling with Jumia. Like it's there waiting yeah. for, the whole thing is still just a hustling thing. And it looks like that's like, that's the environment we operate in. So for you, how do you think businesses should realize their visions? So again, now just to pick from your story, which I really love. I think the first thing that really defines vision is the need. Yeah. The need. What are you trying to solve? Like if you called me for a strategic session, those are things I would ask you guys. What were you trying to solve? What was the need that you saw? Okay. No. You know, yeah, there's so many ordinary people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just need a space to have these conversations. Okay, so now you're having these conversations. After that, what? what? Exactly. Are you measuring the impact? Yeah. Are now, you, now I see you, how you see it. How we so now, the from step. there, after coming from the need, you know, mm. then you come with a clear problem statement. What are you trying to solve? So when you realize that there, we have a very big population over you. Yeah. People need to be inspired. You can actually be paid by YouTube for. <laughs> yeah. Well, the new guy comes in. paid on TikTok. No, Twitter. Two hours pay. Pay. Okay. Twitter. It's just not, we you don't have it. swipe in EG, but Kenyans are getting paid. So crazy. There is now. So you're already seeing opportunity. Yeah. That in as much as I don't have to charge the support for my product, but there's someone who is actually willing uh, to, to, to pay me. Just yeah. give me that content and have the audience. So you see the two things I'm focusing on, content 
what not is. But the opportunity is there. But then now, okay, this is your first two, three years. Yeah. Are you always going to be this? Eventually, you know, these days our um, <laughs> attention span is so short. So how do you move forward? How do you build your next five years? So even if your brother comes and says, I have this expertise in film. How do I enterprise in film? Yeah, we, we are looking at film as the Yeah, film. it's film. That's what I'm saying. I'm just thinking. By the way, FYI, we didn't talk about this question. You asked me that. So slowly by slowly, we build. Mm. We build. Five, ten years. The problem I found also is that people don't want to think about the future. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like think yeah. yeah. To think but, about and that's where the limitation comes. Because when you read uh, Bill Gates' books, he'll tell you when he was doing that $5 thing and what, his mind was not just there. He was thinking the future. Every time you limit your mind to today, because today is today, it will come that sun will set and it's done. It's such a little push. Yeah. Think yeah. about 10 years. Okay, I might even say 20, but let's not get that pressure. But just think about 10 years. 20, 30, will this podcast still be relevant? Will film, what I'm to train, will it still be relevant? Now, once you get to that futuristic position, then you start defining confusion. But where do we want to go? It actually makes sense. When, a lot of yeah, sense when, when you think about up, it. Exactly. When it builds up now, then you start going back. What do we need to take us there? Um, we may not have all the equipment. Now we have one, two cameras. Okay. Yeah. And that's fine. So you start now putting the blocks. But then you say, but you know what? And that, that's the thing I always say. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. You see King Carissa, <laughs> my very good friend, they call him uncle. <laughs> he inspires me a lot. But has he told you his Jehovah's story? No. How he started? But yeah, man, he has. He's a media mogul, right? He's now? not a media mogul. So that's what we call him. He's in the headquarters in Dubai, my friend. I'm telling you. That is what they call aspiration. Yeah. So for now, you can look at someone like him, but he also has a story. He has his a thousand hours or whatever he's putting. So such stories need to aspire because you're in the same industry. So your dream, you'll say, I want to also be mm. a multifaceted media mogul. Mm? You know, I'm throwing, I'm throwing at you like what's what's heavy words. Eh? Multifaceted media, because that's what he does. Uh, yeah. Very multifaceted. You'll see him. Um, you know, the the what do they call it? They are, they are Afro, Afro something done that it's on the internet. He's on the internet. He's on um, media. Yeah. He's yeah. an inspiration, really. Everything. Yeah. So now I'm telling you so. Do you think you can be the next generation King Carissa? Sure. Now, that's the one who lets your journey. So you're like, how? Yeah. So you're like, you know what? You sit to your brother and say, you know what? Let's now form a company. If it's not that I'm saying, mm -hmm. let's form a company. Let's start this journey now. Knowing that in 10 years, if we might not be able to raise that capital, then millions and trillions of shillings that will be needed for us to get to that next level, at least we'll find people. Who would have seen our journey, trusted our journey, buy into what we are thinking, and they're ready to invest in us. And so you're like, okay, let's prepare. So you start now. You prepare yourselves. And when that time comes, believe me, if you're consistent, disciplined, and you love the journey. And it really works out because the biggest podcast in the world has right now has about 2,000 episodes, right? But when you go back, the biggest podcast is called the Joe Rogan Podcast. It's for a white man, of course. Uh, 
like all over. All over. Oh. But he started way back. He didn't have. He didn't think it would work out. But he kept at it, right? Then Spotify came about. Now Spotify gave him exclusive rights to just have his podcast on his thing for two hundred million US oh. dollars. And that's the biggest podcast. Wow. Give earning really a lot of money, that's right? Yeah. So <laughs> those are things now that inform your strategy. Yeah, that one is there now. You're <laughs> now. I need to go back and sit and those are the draw things. like a board. Exactly. You need that's why that's why they always say like now corporate world. Of course, it's luzongo luzongo benchmark. What's your benchmark? Who are your aspirations? You have some here locally. You have so once you have that mark, that benchmark, because there's nothing new under the sun limited. So again, now wait. Um, when oil and gas was booming, right? Mm. In the in that time, it was booming. I used to have conversations with Tony Otoa. I don't know if you know him. So Tony used to tell me to make sure I partner. Of course, he's since he's an incubator for Stanbic, his main push was then making informal businesses formal, mm -hmm. right? To like expand large. But we've not seen results of that. So that threatens you to like, ah, oh, let me just keep my thing small. Yeah. Let me just do it. As long as my boys are happy, I'm happy. Maybe that's it. Like I shouldn't get so much from life. That's when you're not thinking generational. Because if it can't be, then you're like, at least let me do it for my children. That's the thing, right? <laughs> no, my granddad, right? My granddad had had so much land. Um, before he passed on, I think, yeah, he had up to what, eighteen children. Wow. So, my father and his siblings. They all have land in PG somehow, somehow, somehow. Like it was big. They were giving them acres because this guy had so much land. And that was generational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sure that will pass that on to us. Then because it's it's like family stuff, you have to keep there. You don't sell. You have to keep to your children, things like that. But how do you, right now, I, I sit down with my brother. My brother has some good money. So, But whenever I sit down with him, I, I ask him, how do we get money? To buy this much money, this much land, like our grandfather, and have generational wealth, because this is like a business. Of course, like the dream is to maybe become like a big studio, do what? But then people have tried here. They have tried. I met studios. I go to to that studio and see they have everything, but it's stagnant. I have more kids than them. I have more content than they do. They want my content, so it scares me. Like. Yeah, it's put in the investment and it has failed. Okay, in my perspective, mm. I feel like it has made he could be patient or something. So that just scares me from the whole business world. You're like, you know what? The Bakwagalana guys, I don't know how they're doing it, but first of all, they are very informal. Mm. They're just doing normal Chikubo Indian business where they're selling stuff and that's comfortable for them. We don't have brands that expand out. Why mm. mainly? Really? Um and for me that's 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 the same thing we've been talking about, okay, you know? Mm. The appetite, the appetite to grow, the appetite to take risk. Because now you're saying, okay, you're thinking of, we want to expand. Of course, it needs money to set up a studio mm -hmm. and what, you know, you need. No, but finding the money is not the issue, right? Finding the money is not the issue. Uh, expanding and it makes sense is the issue. Yeah. And it takes me back to the thing, what are you trying to solve? Okay. No, that is a question I'll have to answer. What are you trying to solve? What need? The problem. The problem. What need? And most times it comes from a need. Because when you define something as a need and not a want, hmm. and it's a need, it's like food. 
people will always go for it. No matter what or what people always tell you, think for basics, basic needs, you know? Food, shelter. Food, shelter. So even as you're trying to define your business uh, statement or problem statement, what is the need? So when you look at your generation, when you look at the youth, and for me with the youth, I feel that they need to get the right information. It's lacking. The 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 bigger they 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 go to place for most time for the youth now it's Twitter. But look at what's on Twitter. It's crazy. Nudes, manyanga what what, and that's what they're feeding onto. So tell me how someone like that will be motivated to sit and start something and persevere. That's a point. So in this world, how should we get the right information? That's another question. In a world where there's so much information, right? I I can cook from from here. I can just cook up a lie, and because of my following, that would be like the norm for some time. It would trend. Guys who know me would believe in that. Mm. It would be false. So how do you decipher right and wrong mm. in 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 our current world? In your perspective, right? Oh, because right now, right and wrong, that the line has become so thin exactly. <laughs> from our generation. It was as clear as white and blood. You dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, you walk a certain way. It black and white. It started graying. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like the 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 line is becoming so thin. It's so There's thin so many things that we are, are born as a society in different genders, and yes. they are not those genders anymore. But I think for me, like I said, yeah. for for someone like you who wants to really find a product a need. They, that's what I'm saying. You need to have the right measures. Yeah. Measuring it. That Measuring it out. Yeah. You need to find people who will be loyal to your brand. And then who can sell it. Of course, now we've come from the generation of just networking, like how it used to be. Mm. Our generation was more networking. If I am, for example, part of Rotary, I will always know I'll get something from Rotary. But now things have changed. The dynamic now is more of relationship building. Like, I don't owe you anything just because you're my neighbor in Tinder. <laughs> you see? But if there is a relation, like I said, my LC chairman. My LC chairman, when I have problems. It was actually something. When we were growing up, I was raised by the whole community. My dad was most of the time outside Which is in very Japan. Now. But whenever I used to go out to the bike and go past maybe where we were staying, you could get a call. Of course, what like you could feel <laughs> the whole community is attached to yes. the person you are. Yeah, but because there were relationships. I'm sure when your dad would come from Japan, he would bring something for his. Yeah, there was that, that was the thing. Hi, as a church person. Yeah, yeah, genuine concern for people, but that's sure. also okay. being eaten up by. Now I see the value of that I've always questioned. This man, why did you spend so much money on the church? But now that answers it. So. We have moved maybe five, ten years or so ago. Networks would help. People will just remember those things, I'm a Budonian or yeah. I'm this, I'm from Chibuli, and then you'd expect certain opportunities to come just because you're affiliated with that network. These days, no. no. I can tell you in my one force, I don't have anyone from Chibuli. <laughs> but relationships. How are you relating with people? people. Okay. And relationship in a manner of value. Value. Like, what value are you bringing to people? So once your content can solve that, you'll start attracting because that's a missing link. The content out, out there doesn't have value. Uh -huh. 
the youth, we have such a huge population, like 80% of our population is below 80, 25 years now. Our population has hit 4,500. Just look at those numbers. Yeah. So you see, there is an actual opportunity for okay. this space to be redefined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm telling you, it's not like this has never happened before. When you read, even you look at the Bible, yeah? when you look at the times and seasons, these things have happened. The world has gone into chaos. And somehow you need people to rise up and be the ones that bring back a certain order. Now, the good thing these days, one of the biggest opportunities we have is technology. So depending on your call and your mm. purpose and what you feel you are really drawn to, the need is easy to pick up. To access. Enterprise through that. Okay. So your time as the Secretary General <laughs> of EA and the Law Society. Tell us about that. The East Africa Law Society. Mm. And it your was... time, like, okay. Uh, like you're working, promoting legal education, what do you think about the law in general from like an East African perspective? How are we? Um, I attended the East African Business Council. So guys were talking about how the council is really beneficial for the private sector. Yeah, just give me your opinion on that since you're like the former SG. Yeah, so East African Law Society, of course, it's really, like I said, connectivity as we are part of the East African community. Uh, it has been there since forever. But it's been a journey. As these five, now we are at seven countries. <clears throat> started oh. with three. Okay. Started with three. So, like I said, the, the East African community is there. It's a reality. But what has, or what is still lacking, or the journey we are all still struggling with is how does it work? How do, how do we make it work? For example, as lawyers, we have the East African Law Society, which is the umbrella body for all the yeah. bar associations, the legal associations, the advocates associations, the law societies of all these different countries to bring us together so that we have a community at that level. So one of the biggest challenges and something we're trying to, to that we're still struggling with is we are community. We have already these laws and and policies and, you know, custom movement of goods, movement of people. As a Ugandan, I should just freely move into Kenya or, you know. Yeah. But is that the reality? Movement of services. As a Ugandan, I should be able to go to Kenya and practice law. No, that's not the reality. I should be able to go to Rwanda and practice law or Burundi, you know, what we call mutual recognition of these professional services. So those, those are things that are still... The challenges, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the challenges that still fail to be a reality. So during my time, I did two terms, and this was part of the story. Mm. You know, of course, every governing council that comes in, um, there there are issues that you want to solve at that time. Just two years are not really; it's not a lot of time in leadership and governance. Um, but during our term, and we did our term, and then COVID happened. So we did one term physically and then the other term remotely. So I think for us, more than um, just business as usual, just being the umbrella body, providing solutions, engaging the East African. I think for me, the what stood out the most for me was we conducted an election for the next governing council only. Oh, okay. <laughs> It and was, how did that go? People are voting uh, on Zoom. People voted. No, 
we we got a voting um system yeah Yeah, for this and so we literally because we were pressed for solution and we were just like no we can't stretch on this term because our constitution doesn't allow it Uh doing it will be doing it illegally we'll need to hold uh you know a special meeting to have people just now getting so we debated and we debated and finally we managed to get a technology solution so we had the voting happen online it was quite uncharted territory you know there were of course so many challenges glitches this that even getting into preparing it as a secretary general because elections sit with secretary general's office and the ceo at that time worked hand in hand it was one of those um experiences that I'll always hold very close to my heart, you know, but we managed um, to do that. Yeah. So for me, that was really among all the other things that we did. What are your hopes for the future of the East African Society? Oh, my hope is um, I really want to see us speaking the East African community journey. At the time we left during my term, we had sent a bill, the East African Law Society bill yeah. to the ENC parliament, which has not yet been passed. But what's that bill, if enacted into law, what is supposed to be is to solve most of these things as professionals that we see. First of all, even our society and it's owned. It's 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 a company limited by guarantee. It's like just an association, but it's not the kind of organization we want. We want something that is clearly recognized as the umbrella body for lawyers. So that was one of the things we had proposed, fees, membership, and so on and so forth. Of course, during our time, we also admitted South Sudan uh-huh. officially as a member of the East African Society. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was when South huge. Sudan. Yeah. So now DRC came on board as well when DRC joined the East African Society. And also at that time, we had a proposal from the Bay in Ethiopia to be part of the East African Society. Mm-hmm. But that's still all. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, some of the things you do and... Not done. Yeah. Feel proud of yourself, right? Just people... This is why you wake up sometimes and motivate us. On <laughs> yes. You feel you earn the need to do that. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on the impact of technology on the legal profession? Yeah. <sighs> we had a lot of discussions around this at the Arnie Law Conference. So... Technology, technology theater. So I was having a conversation with Semakade sometime back. Uh-huh. Back, back, back. He wanted me to be his official video person, move around, record all the things he's chasing up on. He was telling me technology is going to put lawyers out of business. Yeah. Do you believe that? It already is. I mean, look at um, certain services, especially around the company house, URSB. That, that was most of our work registering companies, registering business, but now everything has been moved online. The ORBS, Online Registration Bureau Service, okay. is now as an online service. So... Okay, okay, okay. Really. Um, land, we have this, um, um, the land, um, the, the, the online system for land. Yeah. Well, of course, it still has its challenges, but it's only a matter of time. So you see a lot of um, business as usual, products for us as lawyers, the services that we offer are being taken by technology. But I think it's a threat, but in there, there's so many opportunities that come to that as well. Yeah. Because technology is not, it, it's not singular. 
there are a lot of things that are needed for technology to work. Mm. Technology contracts. Um, now we are moving into the world of artificial intelligence. You know, there's a whole world that, that is going to be created. And well, you know, every everywhere there is like social and the the world of there's need for social order. And what governs that social order? It's laws. So it's a matter of, of, of lawyers adapting and reinventing themselves. One, it you start by being tech savvy. Two. Two, there's an opportunity for you to even develop products that work for you. For example, if I see now the craze around um, doing podcasts and doing these things, there will be um, there will be issues that will come out of it. For example, someone steals your content. This is online community. Yeah. Don't even, but somehow you see someone has picked Real our whole conversation, branded them, <laughs> Mr. T conversations, and puts it out there somewhere. It's his. What do you do? Exactly. So you see the work yeah. as it advances. Those, just let me tell you this. I always say there's nothing you understand. Understand. Look at how the physical world is operating. The laws, the system. That is how the Internet of Things also is evolving into. So there will be need for disputes to be solved online. There will be need for people to execute or be able to, to get awards online. Uh. And I, I follow you online, travel your online life and be able to, you understand? Yeah. So there's a whole world that is, so the question for me is, yes, it's a threat, but in there you have to realize the opportunities and quickly adapt, but also evolve the way of work. You know, these days as lawyers, we now, some of at the firm, we have apps, we have systems, you know, filing has now changed. We don't, we do physical files, but then we also make sure we have online files. When I'm at home and I need to respond to a client, I just go to this system and then I have everything. I don't have to be in office. So I think also the, when COVID happened, it changed. Because yeah. even then as lawyers, people say we are such a traditional profession. People worked. Okay. People in Kenya now, online court is it. When I go to Nairobi and visit some law firms that we work with, you find the person who's report is like, oh, I can't meet you. I'm going to court. Now, for me here in Uganda, I'm going to court means it's physically. Like, yeah. I just see the guy rubbing up and goes to his computer. And that's it. Online court is... Is this the future of law? It should be the future of law. It should be. It should be. I think there was something, when was it last year? Where we had uh, a robotic, a robot judge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah so this thing, these yeah. are snippets of what's going to come. In Malaysia, actually, I read, I think it was last year, they have started artificial intelligence judgment. Oh. Kind of like law. So you do your submissions. I do my submissions. You submit it to this online system. Then the AI picks up and writes your judgment. Do you feel like these are the key terms shaping the legal profession? Okay. Now, terms? Facing the whole profession, like shaping it to like for the future or things like that. AI, do you think AI is participating? Yeah, it's yeah. most definitely is shaping us. Chat okay. GTP. Yeah. I mean, guys, we even at my office were testing chat GTP and we're writing opinion. Give me an opinion. And then the guy was just and we're like, ah, okay. And the answer, right? Like, I feel like, you know, that law is based on proven yeah. things, right? Because. So far as that word, really, the fact that for you to come to conclusion to a case, you need evidence of that same exact case from the past. I cannot commit something new. Like, I can't 
<laughs> what should should my my whole judgment be based on to something that has happened and the precedents yeah yeah the precedents come in in a way that they they help you formulate again it comes from the issue that there's nothing new under the sun so for example if you've murdered you're not the first person who has murdered okay. there have been cases that have been almost like yeah Similar yeah. Scenarios, evidence yeah. provided, and all that. So we always refer, refer to those. One, to ensure that there's stability in the way cases are being solved mm. because you're using the same law. So it's the penal code for us in Uganda. So if the penal code says these are the tests, these are the ingredients, then today for you, you judge it in your way. Tomorrow I come, I put in my... So there must be that kind of consistency. So that's how precedents help us. Also to ease of work. <laughs> now when they say law is very traditional, we also have ways we want to be efficient. So I will use a case that was judged. We use a lot of common law. You'll be shocked some cases that we quote are from the 18th century, 19th century, early 20th century, but there's still law unless another court or another judge decides so differently that kind of distorts the thing, but the pattern. So then you just focus mainly on the facts. Oh. So you just mainly focus on the facts and how those facts then speak into the law and these other um, precedents, the old things that you're saying. That what are some of the most pressing legal challenges facing the region? The ones you can speak on, you, that you've been, with all this experience you've raised up as a partner, but you feel like these are pressing, these are not handled. Of course, as a region, is the rule of law. Okay. The law is there, but we're not being ruled by you. It's a big challenge. I feel like that's a thing. Region could include like East Africa, yeah? Yeah. but for Uganda, that's like our biggest problem. Yeah. Because when you go to Rwanda, it's different, right? It's you feel like it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the police guys taxing you on the road up, giving that money back to government. It's not like an individual thing. Yeah. The cameras finding you left, right, at center. That. So rule of law is our biggest challenge. But when you look at our laws and read them, they are so nice. They, you see the heartbeat of what this country should be because law defines social order. Law provides solutions. Law directs people. Even from the Bible, we got the Ten Commandments for a reason. Don't kill, don't steal, don't matter. Otherwise, it would be a jungle society. So you find that we have laws in all aspects of life, including even tech. Yeah. We have a whole yeah. digital law. Everything is there. So for me, what really um, concerns me is that the heartbeat of this nation, right from, from our constitution, uh. is clearly defined. When you read it, you can see the rhythm and pattern. You can close your eyes and imagine how I, the ideal Uganda would be. And it's so touching. And it's beautiful, right? And it's beautiful, you know? People are doing what they're supposed to do. People are being responsible. People are not corrupt. Because we have a whole IGG institution which has all the laws governing declare your wealth mm -hmm. but someone is in a ministry earning eight hundred thousand. they're putting up apartments in nigeria how <laughs> did you see the need for you to become a political person so that you get the power to do some of these things if i had the power i mean one of the people i really admire and feel that our system and for me, because I used to admire her so much and I saw what happened, how the system really dealt with her eventually, mm. Jennifer Musisi. 
I like I literally, if it were possible, I would have, I don't know, worshipped the ground she walked on. And I think because the passions, the the pains that I have, I felt she was speaking into them. Because it doesn't take much to organize the city. But when things were politicized, when she was, you know? Yeah. So the need for order, in as much as we want it, we don't want to take At some bit I didn't even feel her impact. I felt like it was also just another pawn, you know, in the no, game. She did. I mean I mean, even some of the projects that 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 are being implemented right now, most of them were planned during her time. You know? so, just look, just remember how Kampala City was. Ah, yeah. Zone, we also had when a we festival. started the zoning of, of border borders, you know, there was some social order coming up. You could see. I think these things are clearly in the Kampala City Act, the regulations, noise. So how do we hold the people responsible accountable to these things? Minus politicizing them. Can't we, can't I like go and sue the, the current ED for not following? You can. I know a lot of law cases happening for suing for this, for roads. Yeah. But again, it's 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 politicized. It's, it's politicized. It's a broken system, you know. But it, no, it's not that it can't be mended. It can be mended. There is hope. Yeah. What are your hopes, by the way, for an official <laughs> law in Uganda? For you, hopes and dreams. I really would love to see Uganda where the the law works. By working, you mean uh, there's implementation, yes. and even the people who yeah. need to be supported. Okay. I mean, why is a minister, I don't know, getting how much money and this, yet the police, who is at the heartbeat of society, is being wasted away, you know, why? Like even priorities. We don't have those. Justice, yeah. law and order. That is the heartbeat of society. Mm. So you're neglecting the police, but you're caring more about the ministers or parliamentaries, or they're caring much about themselves because of their selfish needs. Politics is a commodity. I had to spend one billion just to get into this office. But money manager, how do I quickly make we money? So your the, your concerns are not the debate. They're not the issues. It's not what's happening to the country. It's how do I quickly churn out money in these five years and pay off my moneylenders, but also make sure I secure my spot. Uh -huh. But also your constituents now now are seeing you as a money making machine. You're the one who contributes to school fees for the whole constituency. You're the one. Who <laughs> Who is every barrier you're called upon? Minister Gondi later sent, everyone is asking you for money. So the whole ecosystem yeah, of the politics has totally been okay. It's unfortunate, but I think there's opportunity. For me, every time there's a threat and challenge, I see opportunity. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I hope that my hope is that funded the rule of What do you think you can do, yours, honey, to change something? Okay, you're already doing, right? You I, own a farm. I do. So yes, yeah with the little ex mm. space that I have. I also do a lot of information sharing. True, that's that I, I agree. Can yeah. for that. I can share, I can meet with businesses because now for like for us, we're in business. We are not in politics, but we are feeding the politics. They tax you, they tax you, they tax you. Eh? Every day they're throwing something new at you because we have such huge expenditure, you have to feed it. So what do you do? So information sharing, getting people like what we've been talking about, uh -huh. how best can you work within the system, but also make something out of yourself. Don't fall into the system, you know? Yeah. Don't don't give up because there's a lot of hopelessness, especially around our youth. Like exactly that statement that you made, aiming to be on the People have that mindset. Mindset. That's, that's but all. it actually works. 
So now what what role am I playing? Just information sharing. Yes, you can build a situation. Actually, now the answer to a Uganda that works is a Uganda that can respect the rule of law. It's That's rule just it. Yeah. I'm telling Today you, I, I can sample you five. Mm. What are your pain points right now? <laughs> just two or three. And I bring you what the laws of those issues are. Over taxing, really. The taxes are crazy. The taxes. So we get the Income Tax Act and all its amendment. By the way, if you read the Income Tax Act from the start, you see that uh, the amendments are feeding into the demands of nah. the, the, the overspending the, of yeah. the country. That's it. But if you look at the original Income Tax Act, before all these amendments, just know every year, whenever the budget, we know we can't find money, an amendment is done. Now include this, now include this, now let's tax diapers. Where in a system do you tax diapers? Like, how, that does, that, how, does, that even, how does it make sense? We have adults, we have the elderly who are suffering right now. You know, we have children that are being born. People can't afford something as simple as a diaper. But what are we doing? We are feeding into. I remember when they were coming for the tech world. Yeah. I the remember when they were coming. The I remember what happened there. Because that was just going to be. Tax. Yeah. Facebook, what was like all these things. I remember in this amendment, when they were coming for our savings. Like who does that to us, to us, to us, to us system? There was a proposal that, because me, I, I do unit trust. Mm. You know, after all the tax and what my income, I'm like, Banan, as a matter of fact, any income I have, I'm like, let me save something. Minimum is 10, maximum is 20. So, how do I do that? I keep reducing on my expenditure all the time. So, I have my boss, meanwhile, not this money has already been taxed. I've paid income tax or anything. Somewhere they've been held, whatever source it has come from. So, it's like my company. So I'm like, I told you, I like to invest because enterprising or those things are not yet my forte, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll get my camera and I say, let me put it in a card, unit trust. Even if it will give me 10% uh, per annum, it's still something that either me eating, because if I keep it on my account, I'll either eat it or it will realize charges. If it's 1 million, by the end mm -hmm. of the year, I'll only have 950. Yeah. If I put it in UFP and it, UFP, okay, I'm not advertising for UFP, but it's what I use. I use a unit trust and say, okay, it will give me 12% per annum. So I have grown my money by what? Okay. 120K. Make a 1 million at the end of the year. Instead of eating it, bank charges, it has given me what? 120,000. And that's something, right? It's something. Yeah. Now, that proposal was saying, as UAP pays me this money, they, they get something. Oh my God. That's 120. Then they took off something. They tax it. I was like, where in the world? But remember, remember our budget? How much money we are going to spend? How much money we are spending? It's just the bad manners that we have. But ideally, if we had a fair taxation system, governance, rule of law, would be good. Because we are like really good people, right? It's a country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are still good people. <laughs> we are still very good people. Yeah. Now, um, the thing we we will jump into next will be um, first of all. Income, right? Business, we have spoken so much about businesses and how they're not succeeding. The one thing that stands out is access to funding. Yeah. How do we access funding, in your opinion? How do businesses, how can businesses access funding? Then from there, like, are we really not a trustworthy people? Because, look, um, this is a second case we're having, right, of people we look up to, people that are entrepreneurs. 
failing out to the people that are giving them money. We mm. had the ham thing, then we have the arbitrary thing running. So we'll talk about that arbitration some. But mm. how do we access funding? Okay, so access. How do you access? Yeah, funding? from like a legal perspective, we organize them from like a business perspective, yeah. business lead as well. So this is like a really good question for you. Yeah, yeah, it is actually a very excellent question. I actually like it. Funding, funding is very interesting. There are people who assure you that they have built their, their empires, not on their money, but from other people's money. You've heard of that thing? Yeah. How do you build your business on your own money? So Natif. Natif is my own being also a very good friend. But I have seen him before before he sold out. You know Natif, get yeah. your health. Before he sold out, uh, the first thing he did, I remember, uh, because he's, again, he's now your agent, because mm-hmm. he's sent to a But I remember, because most of those guys are my friends, I remember the struggle he used to go through, like just using people's money, reaching out to people. So, but then I find that so hard. Mm-hmm. And I am such a friendly person, like I can talk to people. I I, I walk into boardrooms of people and I walk out money easily, even when I'd not planned for it. So I feel like maybe should I take this direction, look for funding this way? But now I have you too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So there is that facet. So again, before you even go for funding, that's why I always tell people, young people when we're talking, the first thing they'll tell you, we have all these ideas, we are innovative, we are creative, but there's no funding. Mm. And I'm like, how can you tell me you're innovative and creative that there's no funding? Funding is always the last. And that's why people fail to pay loans. Because you start with the end at the beginning. The beginning should always be the business. Shape out the business. Having the right resources. Having the right plans. Having the right strategies. You know, test the businesses. You know, because if you want to test something, even 100 or 200K, you can do it. But you're like, no, me, if I don't have 100 million, I can't, I can't start. I have this great plan of mine. That's why it's even these days with these innovators and this plan. People actually tell you, no, let's run your business like for three years. Then we'll give you the grants. No one wants to touch a startup. Why? Because people feel that if you really have the same investment and belief in your, in your business, you cannot fail to run it for at least three years. Just like the example we've given you. Yeah? Yeah. You you put things together. Resources, people, even if run something, organize it. So now, by the time you come for funding, funding is always the last. And funding is very specific. What are you funding? I'm funding growth. Maybe I need to expand. expand. Yeah. And even in that expansion, why are you expanding? People feel like expanding. Yeah, I'm expanding. But why are you expanding? Are you ready for it? Because you see a wash bay. No. <laughs> you sit on every mall in a space of the business just started. But the guys spread out. Spread right? out. Mark and washing bay. Mark and, like, you've just started one month, but you all spread out in six. Yeah. How many way to manage? Exactly. I always ask myself. Like, it's, or it's a death trap. But again, there's always that prestige. You know, Ugandans, Vandalwatia, competition, you know, we don't enter into things for the right reasons. Yeah? That's why they always say, start small. Do you really believe that, though? That I do. people who have made their own money sit back and be like, ah, uh-uh, let's just do it because someone is doing it. I feel like people money is so hard to make. You have to think through investing. No, people do it. People do it. It's a mindset. Like someone comes to you, um, I will confess, <laughs> there's a business we invested in with my husband. Mm. I was personally against it because I didn't have a salon, <laughs> a barbershop slash salon. 
So he has this friend of his, he's selling, selling out. So it's like, I have this but a very good location. Town, like where you know Christ the King is, as yeah. you go up. Yeah. Very good. Actually, just below Waka's house. Convincing him. So he tells me, I'm like, I don't know anything about him. Like exactly the story I gave you, they've run for him the numbers, they'll be banking money in the week. So lo and behold, it's and I'm like, fine, you know, we invest in the business, we buy the someone. My friend. <laughs> Even the guys already who are there, because we bought the saloon with the workers, they were all okay, da, da, da. but my friend, I cannot prove you. Everything becomes funny in a minute. But because you also had a friend who had just done the same thing. And his friend was telling him, oh, man, this thing is working. Now, the only difference was that the friend was there. In the business. He was there. You know? So we ended up, we, we eventually ran it like for two years. It was just nasty. Like I don't even have power, but it was nasty. We, we ended up what? Reselling it to someone else. Who oh, it's now working for. Because, because they're, they're like, there. Oh, yeah. please. The things they were doing to us, so what, what, uh-uh. Like you'd sit there in a week and the guy bucks a hundred thousand. And we had put cameras. And you're seeing the movement that Baba chairs. And the guy's like, they give you this full story. And you're like, what? This is the money that I think I'd be getting the messages from Equity Bank. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you see, now, I have, I don't have the maybe statistics or what, but I, at least from the patterns I've seen, people do set up businesses because someone else has set it. That thing, competition, you know, you can yeah. it. Like I said, I would uh, rather yeah. if I admire your business and I like what you're doing. Like if for me, if I had an opportunity and Mandela from Java's came and said, Asmahani, of course now in numbers I was just so well, but in my mind, there's some businesses I see, I have watched, I have followed, like, I see their story. I see, even without them telling me, mm. I can see the strategy. I can see where they're going, yeah? Mandela came and told me, you know what? We, we need to expand. We're opening up another branch. Do you have a hundred million? I'm telling you, even if it's, it's selling my kidney, <laughs> I would sell it. Done for this. Buy shares in that specific mm. outlet. <clears throat> Properly, and I invest in drivers and I sit there. And I'm sure... Of course, I'll do my due diligence. I'll look at the numbers. But so instead of someone coming wanting to compete with Mark, why doesn't he sit down and say, Mark, I like what you're doing. doing. I think it's time for you to expand. I have this certain meeting. What is your need? I need cameras. I need this. And okay, let's do our paperwork. Our DD, let's do everything. Can you give me what? What is this certain million worth? Which takes me back to how you structure your company. Yeah. If you have the number figure, this is how much the price of per share, you give him the price. It's like, fine. I've invested in your share capital. Give me 10% of your company. Now, Uganda, Nechichi, Sisobola. We are going to 10% in your company. Mulimunze, Muchala Wange. What is your Muchala doing in the company? <laughs> you, yeah. you, as a person, do you have split business from your husband? Yes, I do. Nice. I have some because man, I it's here. Yeah, I have some it's challenging. Like you see it, and you're like, bro, just keep the family. But out. You know, one thing diluting share, of course, there's that option you can dilute. Yeah, you can bring in other people. Like I have a we have a company that we run is real estate and we do a lot of logistics. It's still small, but today, right now, I want to, to get it into the gold and gas. But if I had like um a company from abroad wanted to partner with us, mm -hmm. JB, 
in a heartbeat. Once I've done my DD and I, I will give out shares and have them come to build us, take us to where we have to go. So back to the funding issue. Yeah. Yeah, so so funding, there are two ways of funding. Either you'll be funded by debt or you'll be funded by what I'm talking about, equity. Yeah, Someone can yes. and they Now also the the decision of whether you wanted to, to want to be funded by debt or equity is also very important. Not every growth that you need needs a debt vanagi. I'm telling you. So you quickly run to the bank. You're going to add four flows, or I've seen people because I used to do a lot of mediations at the commercial court. Mm. People are losing, are, are losing their property. Someone gets, I'm going to build the Tizimbe, they give the number of numbers, they make sense. They give you the money, first of all, the guy first diverts that money. That's an Only one for <laughs> him, for the wife, it's a personalized number. But you've seen the story. It's the same script. It's the same script. And that takes me back to who are you putting in your company? Governors. I mean, we received $10 million. I'm, I'm seated on my board. Mark, you're my husband. He's my son. Then he's my uncle. We don't have any accountability. I'm like, guys, bank it. Everyone on their egos. We're not Dubai. <laughs> and this is our board of directors. This is the decision making. Who will send them? Madame, I bought for your Range Rover. And now everyone looks at the money as if it's free money. Meanwhile, the bank has told you after two months or three months. You need the money back. And meanwhile, that is not bank's money. That is people's money, me and you. That's how banks lend. Yes. Liquidity comes from the deposits people make. Yeah. <laughs> or the bank just uses your money to make an interest out of it. And that's why the bank will always be a real case. So now you tell me. Remember my company? The board of directors is full of. Just, hey, we can even be here in a board meeting as you're having tea. Because you're here, I'm yet here. Because, like, there's no structure. So you see how we yeah, go down. No, I can't you see how we yeah. go down. Yeah. So six months down the road, I've diverted money. The bank, actually, the bill, the the bill cues, the bill of quantities I've written, everything is okay. I've put in engineers, surveyors. Everyone has given me the right thing. All I had to do was put let the money do its work. So six months down the road, the bank comes where you should have been like on third floor. You're still on first floor. You're starting stories. Before we know it, the loan is going back. But before you know it, the bank has to recover. It's money. So you see how you see how it plays out in our system. Yeah. The other thing, like I told you, in this family, why don't we say guys? Depending on the status of our business. Yeah. Let me give an example. Maybe which business? Okay, maybe. Wava Munoz Masters business. You see, there's a family like guys. We need to expand, put more showroom. Do we really need to have debt? Then I'm like, but can't they invest in our business? We've been here for 30 years. Can't they invest in our business? Can't we call on people to invest? Okay, now I see where you draw the line to equity. And you're like, okay, this is that's serious. What to hold on to the, that thing of Chang and Chang, and it's bringing us down. It has brought many, because sometimes I look at financing documents and you read it and I'm like, but do you really have to borrow? Do you have to incur that interest rate? Do you? I believe it. I can lend you this money. Just give me shares. <laughs> and the person is like, Nedda, Katiba Mutandi said, you want to steal my business. Do you have to borrow? But don't you think, do you believe that maybe a big majority of people are just ignorant of this kind of information? Like, 
Maybe, maybe like I say, first of all, who like this? I said they 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 structuring an expansion of your growth of your business. If it's a family business, I have nothing against family business, but be investors as families. Mm. When you're setting up your board, which is in charge of your strategy, it's in charge of direction, controls, and things like that, bring in other people. Bring in a map who doesn't know your family, just link map. You're good at this. Part of our business, we're trying to set up a media company. We need your expertise. Come and tell us. Yeah. It doesn't Absolutely. cost much to maintain yeah. the right expertise on your board. I bring it, I bring, and you allow us to do what we're supposed the jobs. to do. That's the thing. Some people out there grow their company. Okay. And then you grow, but here, you are the shareholders, you're the directors, you have your meetings in the bedroom, yeah. in the sitting room, the kids have come from holiday. By the way, you guys, I have this resolution, come and sign. They sign until so the kids are part of, they don't ask questions, they don't ask for accountability, they don't ask for anything. Then before you know it, a very good company with a Good idea with a very good is slowly going down the train. I really wonder how um, people like um, businesses, like how you see my money business and things like that, you know, yeah. in as much as they're family businesses. Well, I know they have very good governance structures. At least even when you go to URS, because now there's a public document mm. and you check, you'll see from their paperwork, you see there's a certain way the business there's is governed, this means yeah. what. Mm. So those things really, really matter. Do you want to talk about um, why? First of all, why did um, why why was the military case solved from New York and not here by you lawyers? <laughs> from UK. Yeah, from the UK actually, from London. From London, it was because of the arbitration. So, personally, I'm there are two African parties involved, right? Uganda and South Africa. And South Africa. Yeah. Like, why did they have cross out of Africa anyway? It was by choice. Okay. And maybe perhaps just to inform people how arbitrations work. So arbitrations is like private court in which you allow you are allowed to agree and decide on it from mm. the time you're contracting. So sometimes what fails people, which for me I think is always an, a good way of solving disputes. One, it's private. The reason why we now know what happened, it's because perhaps maybe they have to bring the award and enforce it here and things like that. But ideally, an arbitration will happen privately. The public, those things never go in public record. Yeah. But we actually knew, right? We first got to know that now they're going for arbitration. Yes, yeah. because it came from court. Okay. Remember those things yeah. went out and went mm, to court mm. and they were trying not to go. And court actually ordered them to go for arbitration. Yeah. Now, arbitration basically as um, a form of solving dispute is really party party best we agree we agree. agree okay so you agree to the venue where you want your arbitration to take place you agree on the law that is going to govern your arbitration you agree on who you want to arbitrate you arbitrate on the rules that you're going to use you understand so in this instance in their argument they agreed to go to the london right. court of and they agreed to the UK law to be in the governing law of that arbitration. In as much as both of them are. Which law also like crowns us here, right? Not we... really. The, the arbitration agreement on its own is distinct, it's separate. Okay. So the whole agreement can run with Ugandan law. Mm. But when it comes to that specific clause on arbitration, you can say, for our arbitration, when we have this dispute, we want Chinese law 
to be the one to govern the whole arbitration process until this dispute is solved. It's allowed. As long as you parties do what? Agree. So that's some 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 that's why sometimes you have people go for London port, people go for um Hong Kong, people go for uh, uh Paris, even here Uganda, we have rules, we have a venue, we can be a seat for arbitration. Um you said you do this, right? Yeah, Ugandans. Why should people get to that point where they have to get someone else to help them solve their issues? I mean, they're already issues. <laughs> you failed to solve. Yes. Well, like any dispute, the arbitrator comes in when you have failed. But then we have to agree to that arbitrator. Yes. That means we have not really failed to agree. But You know, you see the thing that... Um, and I always love it because I do, I, I'm a contract lawyer as well. So most times when people are doing contracts, like any marriage, actually, let me, let me not even take it so sophisticated and put it in zone. When people are getting married, do they ever visit that will have issues that at one point in time will not talk or that we might even divorce? That's no one wants part. to even think about it. You even tell them they're like, you're the devil. You're the devil. These days, the people are smart. Yeah, these days, people are smart. I was just taking... Uh, they do prenuptial. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they do prenups. But even just the mention of a prenup, I cannot imagine a time... This is that this... Yeah, until now this girl in first place. So it takes a certain mindset for people to actually even acknowledge or accept that we can actually do a prenup. Mm -hmm. That's marriage. But the ideal marriage situation, get married. But like any and relationship, happy for you're dealing with a fellow human being. Even I always say, even God who created us is still struggling with us. Today he's telling you this, you're still doing. Now me, <laughs> who has just met you at a certain point in my life, how am I sure that Endol and Bion will be all? No, it's a relationship. So you'd expect there will be disagreements, there will be challenges, there will be, you know, and that's how contract relationship is. At the beginning, I'll be like, Mark, I'm going to invest in your company, we are like BFF. Like we don't even envisage something will go wrong. And so most people, when they get to the close, it's a standard closing all contract. Most people gloss over it. They're like, ah, 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 that one you just put. We'll never. Yes, <laughs> no, we cannot. We've agreed two or three years, you'll start getting a dividend on your investment. Come on. Three years pass. Five years pass. Now it's becoming a what? Okay. I'm chasing you around. I'm not getting any account of it. I'm saying Mark was wrong. So it starts becoming a dispute. Mm -hmm. So your ideal dispute resolution clause one, it should allow for parties. You should give them a chance to talk, to negotiate, to try and solve between themselves before you bring in other people. But when that fails, and in a timely manner. So that other means people, when that fails, really. That's when you bring in other people. Because your ideal situation would be go to court. But sure eventually it evolves. And people are saying, do I have to go to court and line up with everyone with all the issues in court? Why can't I have someone? Yes, give us the rules, the, the, the guidance, everything that we need to solve this dispute. But let's do it under our own terms. Because we're the ones who entered into this agreement. Why should we go and overturn them and amend the civil procedure rules? They're telling me what to do now. Mm -hmm. Why can't I have that independence? Yes, I'll allow court to supervise me if there's anything, but let me pick someone. So where it has worked very well is in construction sector. With construction, it's unheard of for construction matters to go to the mainstream. 
they have standard arbitration clauses. They have standardized agreements, what we call the FIDIC agreements, you know. They have standard, even RPPDA, they have standard. Everything has been standardized. So in construction, because it's your building, you go to court, your building will get stuck for 10 years. Meanwhile, you have a loan, you have this, but you know, you're disputing with your contractor over material. He's saying, I brought a hundred bags of cement. You're saying, no, the supervisor is saying you brought that. You're telling him, I'm not going to pay you again until you are, we solve this cement issue. So because you're not agreeing, then you're like, let's go and file in the court. <laughs> court. You line up with the rest of everyone. All the backlog and issues. Just that cement issue takes you five years. Meanwhile, that is not worth, yeah. That's not worth. So in construction, they okay. have their standards. Once you have that thing, they get an engineer to come, whatever is, whether it's an engineering thing, a design thing, they'll come. If you know they have this uh, tribunal board, you set up a board immediately, they try to resolve. If not, you go for arbitration. But the principle is that work must go on. So even as we go through these things, work of is still course. going. You just get that issue separated from everything, so which is not mainstream. With mainstream, they'll say maintain the status quo. Maintain. Now, so someone who has handled this for some time, do you feel like it's Ugandan culture not to pay debt? Do you feel like we're that kind of people? Statistically, they are saying yes. That's why our loans are very expensive. Did you wonder why our loans are very expensive? Yeah. We are not a credit worthy society. Okay. <laughs> are you checking it? Well, it's well, for those things that I've told you. Yeah. The discipline. The planning, the accountability, the transparency. People just get the money of the end goal. Like, like in culture, the yeah, unfortunately, do. you get money. Like I always tell people, when you're borrowing money, think about that person who had banked his cattle million that you have managed to borrow. It's not your money. It's not the bank's money. Return it. Don't even go to banks. You see, even in our society, Mark comes mm -hmm. like, as man, never problem, but he and takes it and, like, me, me by the things, I, I like to give. And I think sometimes people study and understand. People come to me a lot. But I'm telling you, out of 10 people that I pay, only one will return the money. Oh. Personal friends, what? One. So what I've learned to do, I have learned to lend because I, f I always feel convicted and bad. If someone comes to me with a problem, I don't know. Once in so well, so you might come to me and say, I have a problem of 500,000. Don't be shocked when I give you, what, 50K, 400K, I'm like, man, that's what. Because if you don't pay it, I won't be so. Yeah. And it, it, has, it has come through experience. You dealt with it. And that's what the bank also does. They are like, okay, you want to borrow this money because you, you guys are high risk. I'm going to give it to you at 24% per annum. Yet ideally, Bank of Uganda is saying the central bank lending rate is 10%. If we are credit worthy society, you'd be borrowing at 13%, 14%, but it takes you. Sometimes I saw the last rate, I think, was 27. 27, yes. I saw, oh, it's crazy. Even, but now after even here at work, yeah. just giving you advances or giving you loans. That's crazy. Like, ah. Because have you ever heard of employees who get loans and disappear from employment? <laughs> <laughs> so many. I know. It's like a tree. You're like, oh, never know. Let me just get a loan. And I'll be you'll be shocked. I remember there's someone who came to work with us at Sinok, and the reason he came was he wanted to borrow money. So he did his probation period. Um, uh, the company confirmed him, he went and borrowed 40 million from the bank. Worked for another two months, never came back to work. 
I don't know. It's a mindset. It, I don't know. The sense of entitlement. I cannot pinpoint it. Keep face to the happy endings of life. But without putting in that effort that work. Work. So you realize why of borrowing becomes very expensive? Yeah. You realize why people don't even have the trust to for us to grow our equity yeah. market? Yeah. No. That people are investing. Because the transparency is not there. Not when there. you compare us to like the London Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, yeah. for them, stock exchange, people buying people's companies, it's, I don't know what is so common here. Mm. I don't yeah. know what I can equate it to. Like today, I wake up in one day. starting a business. People here start for oh, business no. businesses. Eh? I just go to the stock market. I get a stock broker. They told me, oh, this company, it's listing a tech company. I need to even ask who is in it. Uh, what's the price by share? Maybe two, $2.5. $2. Okay. Get me 100,000 shares. I put in my company. I wait three, four years. I start earning a dividend. Clear cut. Oh. The equity market works. Here. Hmm. You even be thinking, why now I get that company, I'm going to put Luca. That was shit. So you, you look at uh, companies like the Capital Markets Authority, they're really struggling. They're not credit worthy. Look at all these tech companies that have come up with innovations around lending money to people on apps, on what. Ah, uh -uh, don't even go far. MTN and its money. You know that thing? Borrowing. No, no pay. Uh, not more pay. No, 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 no cash. It's more, more, more cash. Yeah. Man, if they give you the statistics of how many people have. I Borrowed money. No, no, things that came around eh, from Momo Cash. Those are financial that. things. They have to call you, they access your old contact, they call your dad, they call who they just frustrate you. People have gotten money and sure. Yeah. So it is a huge pain point in our society. Yet there is money. Banks, I mean, Stanbeck Bank just, uh, just uh, shared their half year performance and their profit is in billions. Half year. Oh. So there is money so there for you, yeah. but accessing it has become a problem. But it's something that has been building. So unless we come back to ourselves yeah. and now get be more responsible, do what it takes. Do what it takes. Otherwise, the more we continue, next time they'll be telling you a bank will not lend you, they'll lend you at 30%, 35%. Oh. And for them, it's a business. They look at the risk. The higher the risk, the higher the interest. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Thank you. Now that is from like the <laughs> business side and the law side and the law side. Let's now talk about you. What is your mantra of life? How have you built yourself and positioned? What are the things you believe in? Yeah. What's your core to life? Like, what's that motivation? What keeps you going, really? But yeah, we could feed into like your history. Maybe uh, you've been very humble from like a humble background, and that's Omanyenakuyo. Truly, Omanyenakuyo. But you are like, this is it, yeah. Yes. All right. Thank you for that. Um, well, my history, and I think I need to demystify this whole history. Because when people hear my name, Asmahan, they're like, because people think I'm male, which I understand. Um. The first thing I always ask, are you a Ugandan? That's the first question they ask me. You look Eritrean or, I don't know. They give me all these uh, countries that I should belong to because of how I look. So whenever people talk about racial profiling, those things, I'm like, guys, I feel these things. <laughs> I have been racially profiled in my own country. So I know what it means to be racially profiled. So, yeah, but um, historically, I'm a second generation Ugandan. What does that mean? That means my grandfather. Ah, uh, okay. 
And I think I'm also second generation again. Yeah, my, my grandfather like, migrated into Uganda okay. from Yemen. Ah, okay. Yeah, so he was half Yemen, half Somali. Mm. Migrated into Uganda, trader, very high business acumen. So he came in like a young man, I think in the 1920s or 1910s, that time when trade, Arab trade and things like that was very popular. Yeah, so he settled, finally he moved the whole coast, came down, 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 and there was a whole migration. So you'll find a lot of mixed race, Ugandans, Mbali, Soroti. So when you look at that route, yeah. yeah. So for me, my granddad finally settled in Kasese. So when you mention the name Sad in Kasese, it's very popular. So we have schools, we have hotels, like he did a lot for community, for... Mm, you're course, already on that generational wave already. <laughs> not really, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. And so that's how, you know, he, he got into uh, unsettled. Mm. Did a lot of trade, the border trade, Congo, whatever. It was very enterprising. Um, he was the first, he set up the first green mill in that whole Western region. So people would bring in like their maize and what, and he would mill it and give them flour. It was more magic. <laughs> yeah, so of course he assimilated being a Muslim, married about three women, um, specifically my grandmother was a Mutoro, so he married from the Bukonjo tribe. And I think it was also bringing community, having people trust him as a business leader. So he married from yeah. the same community. Yeah. Yeah, so then now my dad becomes first generation because he was born here. Mm. Yeah, so again, my dad, their whole family, they, they're about 15 plus. Yeah, so later on, he meets my mom. My mom is also mixed race. Uh, my mom's background, uh, her mom was uh, from Comoro Islands. Sorry, that dad was from Comoro Islands, if you've heard from Comoro Islands. Yeah. And then the mom was from India. Yeah, so I'm really, really... UN, United Nations. <laughs> so I have, and that's just like the first generation, but even with my grandparents and great-great-parents, all of them on both sides, there's several races or several, yeah. So maybe that's why I'm big on the region, the world, like my vision is always... You just don't see Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense because I look at myself and I just feel like I don't belong to one space, but yeah. Yeah, so I was actually, so then my dad, that was first generation, so I'm second generation because I was born here mm. in Zambia Hospital. Um, yeah, we're rooted here, went to Buganda Road Primary School, <laughs> went to Chibudi, you know, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, because of our, our religion and culture and what, so the names, all of us have very interesting names. Mine have been Asmahani. Asmahani is more like, uh, it's coined from Arabic Swahili. Yeah. It comes from the word Samahani, like forgive. Yes. So my name is means like forgiveness, peace. And actually, I really profess those things strangely or unstrangely. <laughs> yes, that is my father's name. Yeah, so I grew up in a typical, um, not Islam was not only just cult, uh, religion, but also culture because of the Arab. Yeah. And because of the interrelations and migration. Are you still practicing? No, I'm not. You're born again. Yes, so we, we, we grew up with the Swahili culture because of that integration. Yeah. But Swahili culture has a lot of Islam. In it. mm. it's, it's really coined from the culture, the, the religion. Yeah. And our local language at home, our dialect was Swahili. So I'm very, very, 
very, very right. over that we can have this podcast in Swahili. And my Swahili because of now my family now because of the the whole coastal thing. So we have family planted around the whole coast. Mombasa coming to Nairobi, Kenya, Mm -hmm. coming to Uganda. So uh, growing up and during the time of instability, the late 80s and things like that, I was very young. We used to move between Kenya and Uganda. So I have family. But now you're, you're still doing business between Uganda and Kenya, yeah. right? The law. Yeah, the law. So, because you know, KTA is a regional. Yeah. So we, we, we have farms we work with all over the region. Yeah. So we have presence all over the region. So which says, <laughs> some of these things follow you. It's true. Yeah, yeah so yeah. So, so what I, is like your mantra? How have you, uh, what have I, you learned from life? Uh, one thing life has taught yeah. me, my mantra in life, my philosophy in life is to keep learning I am a learner. I mean, that's a constant. You, even if no, you don't learn. I found it that the people who just... Like sometimes... That's not true. The yeah. people who stop. Who stop. I agree. I have, yeah, I agree. The people who give up and yeah. just like this. I agree. I'll, so I have learned to humble myself to an extent that... I And, and to develop a learner's mind, you need to... It needs to go down. It needs a... Ego has to go out. Like even yes. when I get new people in associates, interns, they first, even if they come to me, they're like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm looking forward to learning from you. In as much as for them, they see, oh my God, to quote Museveni, fountain of what knowledge of honor. I'm like, hey, wait here. I have so much to learn from you as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't been, you've just come fresh from school. There's so and I actually mean it when I say it. Um, I've also learned to spread my wings. I love the multidisciplinary aspect of how you do your life, career. So when I was in oil and gas, I got into projects by virtue of my um, my role I was playing as a lawyer. But I was so intrigued by just, you know, you have this one thing, but you have this multidisciplinary, you have engineers, you have surveyors. Blah, blah, blah. So I got so interested in projects. And later on, when I started, you know, building myself, I actually educated myself. So I'm a project management profession. But at the same time, I'm still a lawyer. I do arbitrations. Yeah. I, you know, anything that's new, I'll take interest and I'll learn. And I'll really come with a learner's mind. Like, the money might know and what, um, being part of businesses and, you know, part of corporate companies. I used to sit in ex- executive management meetings as the lawyer, who sometimes they call to take me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you my dream would be eh? people look at you and think maybe you just dropped from heaven and you are small honey the one they see now call you like yeah bring, you call her I can't sit there you're not supposed to say anything but just for clarity you know you hear people are talking about projections balance sheets I don't know what the strategy you don't understand them so you're like um, excuse me what I'm taking the minutes but what does this mean and then they look at you with this eye of way, like you don't know strategy you don't, <laughs> you but don't know predictions, you don't know budgets, because law school no one teaches you this thing. But it challenged me. And at the time when I wanted to do my master's, I really struggled. And my tip, everyone was telling me, do a master's in law, maybe do a master's in oil and gas. I went for a master's in business. Business. Because I just felt so challenged. I wanted to understand these companies, accounting, what, ledger, someone's talking about, you know, today's ledger, you're just there. You're, meanwhile, we learned to excuse me, what does 
Lejamin. You always about asking for that spelling. <laughs> so it helped me a lot. So it so I, I so from there the lesson I learned was never be afraid first of all to ask. Mm. But also if you see something has pulled you like you feel, yeah. learn it. Learn it. And today I'm a big fan of Coursera. If you know that there's an um, assist uh, in, it's not even an app. It's like it's like Coursera. They 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 have sources. It's like a posting, like yeah. a learning and, yeah. how. Been there for Python. You can do few. You can do free ones, but and it costs as little as forty nine dollars yeah. to get on it. So I love Coursera. Now I'm educating a lot myself about climate change, about this whole halabalu of carbon credits and things like that, and I'm loving it. So for me, you, I, when I say that much, what? Climate change. I do. I mean. I do. I mean, I used to be one of the things. Watch Trump, Trump. Trump planted like a, a bad seed in me those days. I'll be like, ah. But now, honestly, look at, look at the but climate. Man, it's hot these days even in just that I, I mean, sometimes I remember the floods. Some people will tell you like, those things are seasonal, but there are certain seasons that yeah. you used to experience. Yeah. Now it's, there's no plan. Just look at mm. Europe where those people have extreme weather. Winter. Yeah. I mean, recently I went to I went to South Africa and we got there. It was their winter season. No more. They told me winter being in Africa. I didn't envisage it to be winter. So I was just like, yeah, man. Those guys. They told us actually when we came in, the winter season was ending. But that's crazy. It had been twelve years before it snowed. It actually snowed for three days. They had never seen it. How do you explain that? And this winter, I'm telling you, it was of winter. Me, I went with Bible summer clothes, like I literally, like we were, I was literally cold, freezing. And they're like, this is not our usual temperature. So in as much as there's, I, I think there is something happening. And for me as a believer, when I read the Bible, I see there's a pattern. You see, you can map the pattern. How do you understand God? Ah. I understand God. 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 What does God mean to you, really? Like, yeah. To me, it means um, he means to, to me as a father. I've come to understand him to be a father, to be a person who. In this case, father provider, right? Father creator, mm -hmm. provider. So to me, God is more relational. It's just like your earthly father. Yeah. If you don't intentionally relate with them, especially now that you grow up and blah, 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 you will miss out and you'll just be father by name. And for me, the, that relationship has to be a very deep relationship because I always use an example of a man, a manufacturer and a man, right? The only person who understands their product is the person who manufactured it. So if you want to understand that product, you have to go to that man. Yeah. Even when you get phones, I mean, some of us, when you buy phones, you don't even read them, man, you just, does it okay. receive a call? Then someone tells you, you see this iPhone, oh, it can do this. <laughs> then you see like a reel that is sharing new tricks you've never seen or never. You didn't educate yourself. Now, for me, I have come to believe, and the more I walk that journey, it's what has really brought me out of where I was. Just that relation, knowing that, okay, there's a place I can go to and ask questions and try to understand why was I created. Okay, ask your manufacturer, when did you create me as a fridge? So I will, and every time, you know, so it's relational. I know I, I can go to a place and say, why am I facing mm -hmm. a season? What mm -hmm. am I? 
So of course, then the Bible becomes very, very active, very, very relevant. And the more you read it, not like this climate change and things, those things were there before now. Yeah, we used to have floods, we used to have but you dry know, But it came from destruction of man. So do you feel like it's it's about that time now? No, I, I, we I have done so much bad. That's... We have done so much. Generally, human beings were human beings. This earth was given to us. It is us. Maybe we don't realize it. We will not destroy it to the end. We might misuse. We are mismanaging. But all the time these things happen, God raises up people. The, the solutions are always there. What's your end goal with believing in God? Like, mm. what do you look at? Like, um, do you want to live ever after in the afterlife? Yeah, I believe so much in that, the eternity. Do you believe it's worth believing in, to believe in the afterlife? Do you want me to live my life thinking of another better life? Yeah, because then it's, 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 it makes life not worth living. Because everything you can think about this life, it's already there. Like you're living a life, sometimes people, it becomes like routine. Sometimes, that time I was having a, a very interesting um, interaction or debate, whatever, I don't want to call it, but, and we're talking about the, the aspect of suffering. This is a constant, right? Does God want you to suffer? Hmm? Very much so. <laughs> scriptures you know that these apostles when they were, they were talking about the experience and most of them talked a lot about suffering mm. you know i suffer in pride i suffer in this and this but for me i don't think we were created to suffer no one creates a product for it to not work or to be challenged would not, I cannot imagine people who do these iPhones create these iPhones with the mind of let the iPhone not work let the iPhone fail. So it's either how you're going to use it. It's either how you're going to educate yourself of how can I get the best out of this iPhone. That it will actually work. So for me, I relate it the same way. Suffering, yes, it's inevitable because of sin and how the world is running, how we mismanage ourselves. But for me, I believe every time you feel like you're suffering, you're being challenged, it is a process. And most times you don't want to go through this process. Like personally, for me, I have experienced a lot of challenges, a lot of issues that sometimes you just want to give up on life. Right? Yeah. But once you get back to yourself and also having that relationship with God, you realize when you get out of that situation, and they always say, no, no, no situation is permanent, which is true. Baganda said, you're not going to suffer forever. You're not going to go through that fire forever. That's why they call it going. But you know, life is yeah. being a yes. concept of suffering. Mm. Like, How? we we suffer for the only reason because that is how we can explain things like happiness, right? You can only know that you're happy because you have suffered before. Mm. You can only know you've achieved because you've failed. It's more yeah. Okay. It's more like suffering is going to be a constant. Like it's. I feel like it's, it's not a constant. Like the way you're explaining it, it's like you suffer because. So it's like there's a two way to eat. Sure. So the notion that we are meant to suffer forever and ever until maybe we get a better life, it's not true. A person don't think. It. And then for me as a believer, I know that Christ gave His life, so that actually when I start following Him and understand. 
and understand God through him. Then the notion of suffering is not, it's not an end on be all. There will be an, a, what we call the crown or the result of the suffering. So it's not, it's not the whole journey that that's the, you will suffer, the result will still be something out, suffering, no. At least that's what I, 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 I that's how I conceptualize it. Okay. <laughs> Again, with that analogy though, it brings up um, thinking that, you know what, the, the creator is a jealous creator. Do you believe that? I mean, if I had been jealous, we are made out of his image. They make and be jealous. Where did they pick that? But the, the, the emotion, being jealous is not a good emotion. So what's the accountability to that, that my creator is not perfect? It's not about being perfect. Do you believe that God is perfect? Yeah. But he's jealous. Yeah, he's a jealous. That's a very, very bad thing. Yeah, because yeah, it's emotionally draining. I think it's also it's important context. When they say God is a jealous God, what is the context of that? Context in this instant is very important because some people pick out a few things mm -hmm. and they want to, you know, create certain notions out of those things. But if you if you want to understand something, there's always full context to it. Sure. So again, what is the context when you say God is a jealous God? I mean, what is the it was a battle of go uh, <clears throat> through the devil down to what the devil, according to my understanding of spirituality, is the devil rules earth, right? That just means that we have someone who got mad mm -hmm. and then decided to punish all of us for it mm -hmm. for someone's. If my dad did that to me, if 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 my dad was getting mad at uh, the mistakes I make and then punish all my siblings, I would feel bad about it. Mm. Yeah, I would not be happy about my dad. So that makes me unhappy about God. Much as I'm a believer, I still feel like uh, this concept here, something is not giving. Mm. Yeah. No, like I said, but you know, you can't have this the full context. Okay. So. Yeah, but if this context is just from uh, the story, right? Um, even Satan tries to be like God. Uh -huh. God gets mad, throws him to, to earth, gets him out of heaven as one of his angels. I don't know how true it is, really. feels like it's amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see, with um, and that's why they call it spiritual thing. It's not something tangible, but I think to be there without the hope and the faith and the belief, Personally, for me, I think it just makes you more empty. True. I believe that. I believe that. Really. Because if you, yeah. you have no belief in anything. For me, when I look at the context of the fall, even when the fall happened, there was already a solution to it. In as much as uh, that story shows us that, yes. And it's also a, a, um, a story that is very, very relevant to life. Every choice we make has a consequence. Every choice we make in life has a consequence. Take it to the True. Even the fact that you're indecisive, it has, <laughs> it has a consequence. So even the ability not to make a decision has yes. consequences. So the fact that um, the devil, as we know it, made a choice, there was a consequence. He had to leave the presence of God because God expects obedience from all the creatures that he creates, like any person who creates, right? Yeah. But... The beauty for me, the way I see it, is that there was a solution. Now, for me, because I'm so solution-oriented, 
That works way. I connect and I see the solution happening. But even before the solution happened, you still have to walk that journey, that process. What's the solution? The solution was Christ. And for me, when I when when I read now the story of how the second the the, the second covenant comes in with Christ and him now who came to take away all the wrong that was done, the sin, the suffering, the all this. For me now, that's the solution. So if I want to live my life with hope, I have to look there. Because then it makes a lot of sense. Now, as I look here, then it now makes a lot of sense to the Father. And that's why God tells us, you cannot come to me without going to Christ. Because when you look at me alone, it's those things you'll say, oh God, you mean, how could they be punished? But there was okay. a solution. I see that. And so the mind of God, and because we are created in his image, it's always that. There is no suffering out there that doesn't have a solution. How have you built your strength and spirituality in this speed? To now, like, over the years, like, what have you done to get yeah. there? Interesting. Well, I got born again in 2016. Do you feel like that? Um, for for someone in a Muslim background, yeah. how did you? It was very difficult. I Persecution. I felt a, a lot of things. Persecution. Up to now, of course. Um, I come from a very, like I said, very yeah. big family, family, friends, all these things. It just makes them very uncomfortable. Um, also, the fact that because I come from this Arab culture, which formulates the religion, in Islam, if you know or don't know, when someone Convert. converts, they're supposed to be killed. They, they do what they call what they do a fatwa. I think you've heard of those things. Yeah. I've heard about that. You pronounce. Yes. They are. One dua for death. Yes, I've heard about that. So many times. Yeah, that's the only one thing. So I at this time, I yeah. heard these pronouncements made over me, the oh fatwas from some of the family members. How? Of course, it's 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 such a. And for me, that's what I'm telling you. When I tell you my gym food day, the fires I faced, the. But for me, and like I tell you, for me, I'm someone, I walk a journey. I'm not a believer in shortcuts and things like that. So for me, by the time I made that decision, I had a lot that was working in this mind. And for me, my mind is one of the gifts that God gave me. And I've come to realize. Those days I used to question. Growing up, I was that child who, even if you told do this, but why? Questioning, but why? I see it in one of my children now. And I love it because I, I'm challenged all the time. But because religion is more of cut and paste, one size fits all. When you ask a lot of questions, especially people come from religious background. Like, yeah, that's, that's the thing with me because my, Catholics, yeah, yeah. But they'll tell you, you don't question. So I came up with that thing whenever I would ask, why do we do this? Why do I have to cover myself? How comes you men don't cover yourself? Why do I do this? And it was always like, your anti things, maybe like a demon in you when you ask questions. But when I found, when I started my journey, and it was really through friends. I could see some, there was something different about them. I could see, you could sense. And at that place where I was, I think I'd reached my bottom. But they said, God, Christ came for the broken, to heal the broken, the wounded. I was broken at that point. In my life. I was really broken. So I think it takes you to get to that level for you now to actually receive what you're supposed to, the solutions that are there. So, yeah, so in my, like I started seeing these things, like we were going through certain, like your peers, you're going through the certain challenges, but the, the way they were handling them, the faith that they had, they're always praying, let's go and pray about this. Let's, yeah, it's done, there was prayer, but for me, prayer was more of, you know, 
how can I call it? Routine. Routine. The five <laughs> times you have to do them for the sake of doing them in. Uh, and sometimes I could just do it because I have to do it, but I didn't feel the connection. So yeah, so that's the, how my journey. So I started reading, I started educating myself, and I felt answers. Coming. Anyway. <laughs> yes, answer for me. I'll tell you, the biggest answer for me was identity and purpose. At that time, one of the biggest struggles I had in life was identity. One, like I say, because of yeah. my name, who I am, how I look. Yeah. I was going through a lot of racial profiling. Like I'll tell people and probably like, over oh, wow, like which district? Uganda, I'll be Kasese. People from Kasese don't look like you. So you feel like you don't belong. In this society that the way Uganda is shaped, you have to belong to someone. What's your clan? I don't have those things. And then also the fact that my family was going through a lot at that time. So we were kind of, so also that uh, connectivity. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest battles. Like I would just hide. Like I wouldn't even want to stand in public and say my name or say who I am. Because I didn't even have a clear definition. The other thing for me is uh, purpose. I knew deep down in my heart. Have you realized that? The purpose? Yeah, your sense of purpose. No. I have a sense What's... of purpose. And like I keep saying, purpose is not fixed. Like you, And I like how you said you sense. Yeah. It's something you sense. It's something you feel. And it's something that you walk towards. And actually the path of purpose so just starts shaping themselves. So you see when the, the, there's connectivity in terms of opportunities that they come that come your way. Yeah, so... Yeah, so like the identity issue, it was an actual crisis and a burden in my heart. And purpose, like I, like I said, purpose is it's it's not cast in stone, mm -hmm. but the sense of it. Now for me, I know. Now I sense my purpose is in leadership. I have a very big role I have to play in governance. I have a purpose in service. Serving, I yes. get so much fulfillment in service. So with whatever facets it come it comes with whether it's church service or work service or coming here to share information, right. mentorship, whatever it is, I do it like I showed my LC community its service and I, I have a purpose there because yeah. I found that the biggest reach that I have is always through service. The mentorship, you know, you, you put up or people just come to listen. It's like, oh, when would I ever have reached those people if I was only like, if you want me to come pay me, this is my face. But I do it, you don't even have to pay me. Like, I, it sits into my heart. The governance, we've talked about it. Like, I look, it's like an actual pain point in my life. Yeah, let's see. Leadership, it just comes naturally. Okay. The last yeah. bit of this whole conversation is, what legacy are you? Are you trying to create or do you want to leave behind? Uh, that question is, how do you want to be remembered? Yes. <laughs> the legacy, I want to be remembered as someone who, first of all, lived a very, very authentic life. I want people to say of me that every time they experienced me, in whatever form or way, they experienced the best version of me. I agree. This conversation, I feel like you I really could connect with oh, you. Wow. Oh, so that's already legacy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I agree with you on So I'm, I'm happy that feedback has yeah. come to because, you know, even in my mentorship program, sometimes I talk and I just let go of myself and the feedback that you get, the lives that you touch, 
Because, like I said, people see you as Mahani, she's on boards, she's on Twitter, you know, they, and they think, oh my God, this chick has made it, she has never experienced what I've gone through. Eh, eh, her life is perfect. Okay. There's nothing like perfection. Okay. I have my flaw, I have my weaknesses, you know, I have things I'm struggling with, even up to now, you know, I have my fears. But the question is, now that you know I have them, can I be true? enough to share them and for those that have managed to overcome how overcome them people want to couples so that's one thing i really want i feel for me if i had a room on my funeral and people at least even half the room says that about me i will rest in peace because it's something i'm really driving towards um that's one that people experienced a very very authentic version how i touched lives you know i mean I have this need of maybe philanthropy doing something, but I've come to realize, okay, even what I do, as long as you're touching and changing your life, I need what matters, what matters. Then <clears throat> the other one to be remembered is the impact that I've had, you know? The small, small things I do, they're still small because maybe I don't have the capacity, but even if it's educating someone, walking someone a journey, in my family, you know, how I've impacted them, my children, the things they'll talk about me, you know. So again, um the, the impact bit of it, you know. How how have I impacted you? Uh -huh. So most times when I meet an interview, it's never perfect. Yes. There's some people who will tell you that chick is a B B I T C H. I don't know. Because I'm very authentic. If it's time to work, it's time to work. If it's time to play, it's time to play. Yeah. So Again, of you're course, with like some sense of principle, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are people I'm sure who have maybe experienced that, but, but but I always I give myself grace. I'm only human, but at least that is I. It may never be a hundred percent. Um, I I love this tangible number, but even if it's fifty percent of people in the room, I will rest in peace. Then of course the impact, yeah. Um, and then lastly. And I don't want to be political because I don't have ambitions in politics. But if I ever had a chance to serve my country, not politically. Yeah, yeah you could be a business yeah, monkey, right? Yeah. Mm. But at that wide scale, you know, just be able, it, in whatever facet, whether it's business, whether it's governance, whether, but to be able to contribute significantly and see the actual impact, whether it's writing a law, with, you know, something like that. I would, I, I keep praying and hoping that you do. that opportunity would come. So for me, that is my simple legacy that. Man, thank you for this. Really. <laughs> this has been one of the topest conversations I've had. Oh, wow. Really, thank you. And you've, you know, you feed, you gave me the feedback that, so you'll yeah. be like part of the 50% in the room, I hope. <laughs> I will. Uh, I want these guests to go, but I'll call you some time. We have another conversation probably on marriage and so many other things. But thank you so much. Thank you too. Thank you too for having me.